Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 67 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor, show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dane. The other voice you will hear, as always, is Matt Feuerstein. Matt, I finally got one of my vaccination shots. This this podcast is officially somewhat safe to listen to. Yeah, we won't be uh, we won't be spitting that COVID into your ears anymore. <laughs> no, um, no, I I am vaccinated. Trevor is is half vaccinated. Um, so uh, I think that that will um, make the rest of you jealous. No, I don't know. Um, yeah, if there's any, <laughs> if there's anyone here listening that's actually uh, able to get vaccinated and choosing not to, um, don't don't do that. You should you should you should do it. Go go get go get that shot. You'll, then you'll be like us, and that's the real reason to get it. I mean, I know like uh, our friend Alan Cunahan. He, depending on what country you live in, it looks like he got a cool sticker. I did not get a sticker. I understand, Matt, that you live in a country where you can get free donuts for getting a shot. Here, I got nothing but, I guess, the simple satisfaction of knowing I've um, may <laughs> reduced my uh, chances of dying. But uh, depending where you live, you might get extra bonus treats in addition to getting vaccinated. Yeah, I still have not taken. Um you know, taking anyone up on their free vaccine offers. But yeah, I can get a free cheesecake, mini cheesecake from Junior's. I tried to do that on Mother's wow. Day and the line was out the door. I think not for the free cheesecakes, but like for regular Mother's Day cheesecakes. And I decided to leave. It was pouring rain and it was a very long line that wasn't moving. So no cheesecake for me yet. Um, but I still think oh. I still got another week. I think it's still Memorial Day. Speaking of the time of month, it is... Very early in the year for a heat wave, but we have one this weekend with a couple of 90-degree days, so I am suffering. Um, I know, feel terrible for me. Um, it's it's the uh, – I'm definitely the one with the problem that you should feel bad for this this uh, this month. That's a joke. You shouldn't feel bad for me about anything. <laughs> I deserve everything that happens to me. I promise you. Um, but I was going to say this, unrelated. Uh, one way I know that your Twitter is is really popular is whenever you tweet – that you're going to record an episode of this tonight, it gets way more likes than any time that we actually share the episode that we have finished. Do you ever notice that? <laughs> like, 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 we're going to record tonight. Everyone's like, "Yeah, way to go!" And then we're like, "Hey, new episode!" And they're like, "I don't want to. I don't want. Well, I don't want anything to do with this. Why are you? Why are you? Why are you showing me this? Leave me alone. Sounds Stop bothering me." Theory. That's what they say. <laughs> Well, if anyone's actually listening to this, well, we know people are listening to this. We we do, we do well enough. We do we we're we're top two Ring of Honor podcast in terms of listenership. I mean, I think there's only two, but we do retro well enough, retro but, Ring of Honor podcast. Yeah, yes, yes, retro. Let, let, let's define that even more. <laughs> let's not make it too broad a net. But in terms of the ways you can listen. I just want to remind everyone, as I always do, if you're listening on the Pro Wrestling Only feed and you just want a feed that is just us, in recent months we've 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 added a feed that is just us. So just search through the years on your favorite uh, podcast provider. If you're listening, if you found us just on our solo feed and you go, hey, you know what, this feed's a little too sparse. You only give us an episode every two to four weeks. I'd like a uh, a feed of podcasts where I get you guys, but a bunch of other shows too. Well, then search for the Pro Wrestling Only podcast feed because we're still on there, plus a bunch of other great podcasts. And if you're locked in some kind of room where all you have is a laptop that is like 
kind of parental control locked where the only site you can finish it, f- f- visit is YouTube, you could still listen to us because our episodes are now being uploaded to YouTube. So, Man, what, a bad, what, a ba- what a bad parent if that's the only site they're letting their kid visit. Because that is not the place you want them to visit. Oh, come on, man. YouTube, you know, got very strict uh, policies about what can and can't go up there. Lots of only good stuff is on YouTube, including through the years. But sure. Um, sure. Uh, so we got a bunch of news between the last show and this one that happened. We always cover the news that happened between the shows we cover. But it's almost all related to one story, of course, and that's the uh, the continued uh, – uh, romancing by WWE of CM Punk. And, uh, we, uh, obviously everyone knows what happens with this story. That's one of the things covering doing a retro podcast. But I think there are some interesting notes here, including some things I did not remember or did not know. And it's just interesting to me to follow it as it goes along. So we'll go to first the Wrestling Observer. Dave Meltzer writes, an update on WWE looking to sign CM Punk, Samoa Joe, and Brian Danielson before TNA. Punk was offered this could a developmental be written, this, could be, this could be written right now. <laughs> Except for the TNA part. Yes, sorry to keep interrupting you, but i got to get these jokes in. Um, no, no problem. He'd say impact now. That's the only difference. <laughs> I mean, Impact is like trying to make you think that Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe are coming to their next pay per view. If you look at their like their uh, their promo videos, I believe like their recent promo video had just like a yet the word yes with like an exclamation mark on it. So I mean, they certainly want you to take that impression. But um, so anyway, Dave right continued to write. Punk was offered a developmental deal and would start an OVW. To the best of my knowledge, Joe was called by WWE, but they haven't discussed the situation with him yet. Not sure if they found Danielson yet, although John Laurinaitis was given the hurry up on him. Um, that's not the last time we'll hear, have we found Brian Danielson yet, which is really funny because at this point, you know, he was off to Europe for a few months to kind of reassess his life and wrestle there for a few months. And I like the idea that like, Brian Danielson was just uncontactable while in Europe. I, I like the idea he's like Ozzy Smith in the baseball episode of The Simpsons where, you know, I could just imagine like Vince McMahon's uh, version of Smithers to his Mr. Burns. I imagine like uh, John Warren and I being like, uh, sir, uh, Brian Danielson appears to have fallen off the face of the earth and Br- Danielson's just like swirling in a vortex somewhere with some British wrestlers. He was hanging out but- with Jesse Ventura off the grid. <laughs> Getting the, getting the frog clippers doing those wet works. Um, so next we go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. They wrote, CM Punk acknowledged to Slam Sports in Canada that he has a WWE offer and he's been sitting on it for about a week. He said he thinks the state of TNA has an influence over the type of contract offered by WWE. Quote, I think if TNA was a healthier company, I think I'd probably be somewhere already. He said, but I think the WWE knows that TNA doesn't have TV and they're not going to be signing anybody so they can buy their time with talent. Whereas if there were two companies, like when it was WCW and WWE, you either go to one or the other. And if someone really wanted you, they would have a bidding war and they would snatch you up. I like to think that the wrestling business in the next few years is going to be on the upswing and I'm going to be on on top of it. It'll come around. It just takes time. Uh, Punk says WWE isn't rushing his decision of whether to sign with WWE or stick with Ring of Honor. Quote, I've been sitting on an offer for a week, and I've been thinking about it, and I think it means the world that I've been given the time to think. They didn't try to rush me into anything. They gave me time to think. So, Matt, you talk about, like, things that have uh, – that seem just as true now as they uh, did 16 years ago. The whole thing about, like, 
Punk saying I'd be signed right now if there was like two strong wrestling companies because there would be a bidding war. Like, boy, has AEW and WWE in the recent years proved like exactly that. Like, is there any doubt that if, 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 um, you know, if TNA was as big as AEW and they were around a few years before 2005 at that level, like that Punk and Danielson and Joe would all never have even gotten to this point. They'd all be in WWE or AEW right now, probably WWE. Like, they'd all be in NXT right now, probably. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, at this point, yes, definitely. Um, at, at that time, like if, if WCW was still around, I'm, I'm not as certain about that because they were still the types of guys that wouldn't have really been looked at by WWE. They might have been in WCW, honestly. Um, but, um, but yeah, certainly now <laughs> they definitely would have never made it to this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, back then, uh, yeah, it would have been a completely different situation because there were still size biases, you know, and maybe Brian Danielson would be like, you know, I think Brian Danielson always wanted to be like Dean Malenko in the WCW Cruiser division, so maybe he'd be there and be living out his dream role when he was younger because I think that's one of his inspirations to get into wrestling was I those mean, kinds of wrestlers in that division. I mean, really, they probably would have done well in like ECW. Yeah, oh, definitely. Paul Heyman would have. I mean, we clearly we know Paul Heyman loves some some CM Punk, so yeah. I think he would have loved him even back then. But continuing on, uh, the Pro Wrestling Torch, but still them. Uh, Wade notes during his recent trials at WWE Raw slash Heat events, Punk also cut practice promos backstage. He impressed John Laurinaitis, who is said by multiple sources to be high on Punk. So I thought that's a little surprising because John Laurinaitis was always, you know, known to be a guy kind of enforcing the WWE edict of no one under what six two or six four or something like that for a time, and you know, more of a body guy. And the idea that John Laurinaitis was apparently a big fan of CM Punk or at least saw potential in him, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think that'd be the guy that saw something in him, but according to the torch, he uh, he did. And then we go back to the Observer. So, so, so I have a question Dave, for that. I have a question oh, go on. for that. Like, uh, I hate saying this, because, like, who knows who listens, but do you consider the Torch as reliable of a source of, like, news like that as uh, you do the Observer? Uh, like, like, when the Torch <clears throat> reports something quite like that, are you, like, do you take it at its word? Because, like, if Dave it, reported that, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably true. The Torch, I, I always found, like, the, some of the sources I didn't totally trust. And, like, sometimes in some different eras, that's changed. Like in reverse, yeah. switch, switched roles, but like at that time, like I don't know if I if I totally buy that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything, but like no, I I get it. I think first off, um, like you were saying, I think it kind of it was fluid because you know there's been de- definitely with the torch there have been different errors where you could tell they had more sources than other times. The thing I would say with the torch compared to the observer is on the plus side of the torch you would get way more frequently like observer hardly ever gives a direct quote, which makes it another layer of interpretation. We always have to go like whatever Dave is being told in the observer, you kind of have to filter through him because he's rarely doing direct quotes where the torch, as we can see with like the, some of the statements I've already read, Wade would frequently use like direct quotes from his sources, you know, word for word quotes. Yeah, that's but good. the yeah, exactly. But on the about going to your point, I think on the on the downside, a lot of times I got the feeling with Wade that like if one person told him something that was maybe just kind of their opinion, like Wade would just throw it up and wouldn't give a lot of context. Like I, I felt more 
and I'm sure, you know, Dave in, in the observer has been swayed by an individual source, but I felt like sometimes with the torch, like if one person said something, way would just throw it up and kind of give more weight to it without really putting it in context. Like there was an episode recently we talked about where we had the quote from the unnamed source in the torch who said something like, you know, Oh, I think punk's going to get along great with triple H, you know, and he's not a threat to triple H at all. And they're really alike. And like, clearly, you know, not that that was like, you know, that was just someone's opinion, but that, that's the kind of quote I don't think you would get in The Observer. And yeah, I, I, I don't I, – I think with the with the, uh, the torch, I think the tone of the reporting was always a little bit more gossipy. You know, it was a little more direct with the quotes but also a little more this person told me this and I'm just throwing it up there where The Observer, it was more kind of – all unified behind Dave's voice in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I, I remember like one thing in the 2000s that like just as far as like Wade being swayed, I think, was he would always argue that the invasion like couldn't have been better than it was because, you know, WCW guys wouldn't have been able to do this, blah, that. I don't remember the exact argument. And like, and people didn't really want that at that time. And that's why it was not worth bringing in all these other. You know, better, you know, bigger names from WCW that WWF didn't bring in. And the one thing that I always remember is like, well, that he always just didn't bring up the fact that the invasion pay per view, like, did really, really amazing business. He was clearly just parroting, parroting something that, you know, people in WWE would say, um, as opposed to doing, you know, that sort of critical analysis. Like, and again, Wade, Wade has done good reporting another time so i don't want to i seem like i'm knocking him i was a torch subscriber for a long time um right now i don't subscribe to either but um but i don't know yeah i what, what you said i, I like that, that he's it's a little bit more he's a little bit more credulous of sources at least during this era because i do think that there's a little bit of that with dave now with um other promotions but um <laughs> but uh but yeah anyway sorry for the yeah, aside no no, that, that's a really interesting aside. I'm glad we uh, we got to talk about it. Anytime you want an aside, I'm always ready to step aside for an aside. But uh, going to I'll, the observer I'll pull again. You aside first. <laughs> um, I'm beside myself. Anyway, I'm going to the observer. Uh, Dave writes, Gabe Sapolsky believes there is a strong possibility they will lose Punk now, but is expecting at this point that Samoa Joe would be staying. The other key guy right now in question would be James Gibson. Gibson has made no attempt to go to TNA because he was doing well enough with New Japan and Indies. Plus, WWE, when letting him go, told him to avoid working TNA and they'd bring him back. It's been long enough to bring him back, particularly when the WWE is in, ac- is in the acquisition mode, so he may be more open to TNA in a month. So that, that's kind of interesting because one thing we do, we'll, I guess we'll talk about later in the year, but one thing that's um, interesting is I guess, you know, the thought was always that Gabe had always planned for James Gibson to win the title this year, or at least for quite a while, and maybe the reign didn't, wasn't quite as long because, you know, Gibson ended up going back to signing with WD very quickly, you know, right around the time he got the title. But it's interesting because you, you read stuff like this and it sounds like Gibson kind of always knew that. WWE was kind of in his back pocket, like that he was probably going to be able to return relatively quickly if he just stayed away from TNA, apparently. So I wonder, I mean, I wonder if they always, if they just kind of assumed that it would be like more of a year away, like, cause you know, Gibson's gone for less than a year from WWE before he's back. But uh, it, it is interesting that, it, you know, it sounds like here, this is months before he gets the title, but already you got people reporting that like, oh, WWE told him like just 
stay calm and we'll bring you back eventually. Yeah, that makes sense. But, was, was, just, was, so I, I'm trying to remember what was it that he was let go for? Was it was it a no? Because they didn't have the wellness policy yet. Uh, what was it? Something like that. Let me let me look that up. Um, I think it might have been some kind of maybe steroids or something. You never know. You know those because I, I don't think like they, they, I don't think they were really doing that until after Eddie Guerrero died, if I'm remembering correctly, but. I you know I know that in the in the mid '90s they 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 put in that steroid policy, um, and then like around the Attitude Era they were like wait what what about that I don't remember that <laughs> and then Eddie Guerrero died and they were like wellness it's all about wellness. Um, so according to Wikipedia, Matt, which is never wrong, they write James Gibson left WWE on September fifteenth, two thousand four, when his steroid usage came to light following a staff infection. Gibson was then released from his contract at his request to sit, take some time off. Hmm. So uh, that's none of that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> This is something obviously, you know, if I knew this was going to come up, I would have probably read some more newsletters to refresh my memory. I'm sure this is one of those moments of podcasts where the listeners who know this are going, this is exactly what happened. I can't believe you guys don't remember that. But I did vaguely remember it was something to do with steroids. But yeah, the way that is written is definitely definitely a little one-sentence ride there where <laughs> discovered due to a staff infection, and then he asked for a release so he could take some time off. Like, okay. What, why, what are any, like, yeah, like, what, why, why would one lead, I guess, I guess don't understand, like, how the two things would be connected. Um, but anyway, um, okay, so I guess that's what happened. <laughs> Thanks, Wikipedia. So, uh, <laughs> As always, trustworthy Wikipedia. So next we go to another Observer quote. This because the story was really developing over the weeks between the last show and the show we're covering today. Um, Dave wrote, an update on CM Punk, Samoa Joe, and Brian Danielson. Punk is said to be 50-50 on going to WWE. The deal with Punk is between all his indie bookings, his announcing work with w- Ring of Honor, and running the Ring of Honor Wrestling School. He's not getting rich, but he's not struggling either. He doesn't need to be an OVW guy. One cl- person close to him figured a quote, and I'll get to this later. I don't know exactly the downside, but I have a good guess. So one person close to him figured a, quote, blank downside would be the magic number. As any less, he'd probably turn it down, but more, he'd probably go. Punk did an interview over the weekend and gave the impression that he doesn't consider TNA a viable offer. Punk said he's been sitting on offer and for a week from WWE, and they've given him time to consider all options he gave the impression if it was a big money offer he'd have already signed he said he he only considers that he's gotten one offer saying quote obviously there's tna but how much of an offer can they make if they don't have tv joe has told friends he doesn't believe wwe seriously wants him just that they don't want him to just that they don't want tna to have him but right now he's got three offers to choose from as he's always wanted to work new japan but now with simon Inoki as president he has a legit offer there as well since simon is tight with him what may help tna is if the company gets tv because without it nobody is going there joe could work tna and get tv and pay-per-view exposure new japan and get major league experience on tours and ring of honor where he's still largely considered the top guy if he works wwe that's all he can work danielson is now in england so who knows if anyone has even found him yet although he is tight with recall again that the the uh, mystery of where brian danielson is continues um so one thing I want to say. So about that number, my, why my, my, my guess with Danielson, by the way, before you do that, is um, he must just not have had a cell phone, which I could definitely see. Like the Danielson in two thousand five was still a holdout on getting a cell phone. 
And yeah, or, I mean, or was or was like I'm going to go to England and ditch my cell phone. One or the other. You could definitely see Daniels, especially 2005 Brian Danielson going off the grid, being a young Tim Thatcher type. Just I I don't need this technology, but. It is kind of hilarious that like reading these uh, torches and observers and PW Insider week to week to, to kind of, you know, as I do the research for these shows, it's kind of funny that this was a period of time where like every week it seems like the newsletters were talking about where's Joe going, where's Punk going, where's Danielson going. And every time it's like, well, can anyone even get in contact with Brian Danielson? Like he's at the middle of all these rumors and people just act like he he is just, you know – undiscoverable which he may well may going to what you said may well have been but it's just kind of funny it's such a weird danielson thing but um so that number the why i don't have the downside number and i'll this is i'll just give you guys a little behind the scenes thing about how we make the podcast this is the work i do for you people matt is frying right now in 90 degree 90 plus degree weather for you this is the work i do for you i'm we're, we're gonna guilt you matt you said no guilt i'm guilting them so I read through all the observers to get news and along with Torges, PW Insider, other different websites to get the news for these shows and just tidbits and stuff. But um, I I had a long-term subscription to the Observer during this time, but I can't find the paper copy issues. So luckily we have an online source of scans. So looking through the scans, this scan of this particular issue has – as sometimes observers, anyone that got the print subscription knows, sometimes you would get unfortunate pink uh, – ink smudges in the printing this one has the world's most unfortunate smudge right over the number of what downside punk was looking for so at that point i looked all over the internet i downloaded like three or four different sources from the dark web of the same issue of the observer and what i discovered is basically everyone on the internet that has scans of the observer use it must have scanned from the one use the same one scan that someone uploaded someone then contacted me because i put out a call on twitter and they said oh i've got the issue they sent it to me they did not check it first it was the same scan again uh the observer website which i'm subscribed to does not have this issue uploaded yet. So all I could work out from the size was it was a five-digit number, and it, I was guessing it was 40,000 because I think I could see a little straight line coming from the first digit at the bottom under the smudge. So I thought 40,000 makes sense. But then, Matt, I got a DM from someone that uh, knew CM Punk at the time, and they told me, if I remember right, Punk told me he signed for $750 a week with OVW, more than the usual $500 a week they offered at the time. So I think this kind of jives with my theory that it was $40,000 a year he was looking for because 750 times 52 is $39,000 a year. So if he got that, that's basically around the – if he was looking for 40000 that's right around what he was looking for. So first off, um, well, all, do you – All of that oh, work. All that work. And I already told you that three is a magic number, and <laughs> it was zero 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 three is what that is what that five digit number said. Um, I'm thinking more less of the Schoolhouse Rock version of the song and more of the De La Soul version of the song. But um, so if you want to pop that song in your head, that's the version that I'm thinking of. <laughs> Always pop De La Soul in your head. Um, so. Uh, I'll go to the uh, – I, I kind of want to talk about the punk money thing, but first there's another quote from The Torch which helps kind of steer the conversation there. Back to Wade. CM Punk continues to consider a WWE contract offer but hasn't made a decision yet as he awaits word on TNA's TV future and ponders the pros and cons of signing. The downside of signing with WWE is that he'd be working under a starter-level contract better than a standard developmental deal but still not lucrative. Then he'd, ha- he'd give up his freedom, likely be required to relocate to Ohio Valley, at least at first, pay 
pay road expenses and have no guarantee of a push and higher pay down the line. He also has a good gig as a Ring of Honor main eventer and trainer, and with TNA offering an estimated $750 to $1,000 per date for about 40 dates a year, he could easily make as much money with a Ring of Honor TNA indie combo schedule, work fewer dates, and have more creative control than a WWE deal. But by not signing with WWE, he'd be giving up a chance to pay some WWE dues, earn tenure, and have a chance at the $300,000 plus salary level that isn't attainable on the U.S. indie scene at this time in any form for even the top workers. So, I mean, Matt, clearly Punk made the right decision, you know, signing with WWE. We all know that now. He probably made, in his best years, well over the $300,000. You know, Wade is even suggesting it's like the payoff at the end of the rainbow. But it is kind of funny sometimes where people – I remember during this era, people always assumed that even if you just signed a developmental deal, you'd be making way more money than you would make on the indies. And I think even at this time when maybe the indies were still not quite as hot as they could be and the merchandising aspects weren't quite as hot as they would be, like I think the economics that Wade is laying out here and knowing – what we think about the numbers, you know, going to OVW for Punk in 2005 was probably a pay cut, you know, initially until he broke through into the the main roster. And that I don't think that was rare for indie guys over the last, you know, during this period of time over the next decade from 2005, that if you were a top indie guy, you could probably make more than they were offering to go to Ohio Valley or the early days of NXT. Except that you didn't have to travel at all. Um, it, and it was more guaranteed where, you know, if you're yeah. a guy that's just mer- making money based on indie bookings, hustling those and selling, working the merch tables, you know, if you get hurt, no one's paying you money. Like I, I didn't, I left this out of the last episode, but we talked about how Samoa Joe, you know, showed up at the last show, even though he was hurt, he did that little angle with Austin Aries. And I didn't use this on the show, but I think in Samoa Joe's live journal, he kind of glibly says something like, I was showing up because I'm not going to not get paid. Like, you know, there was this pressure where you got to go, even if you're hurt, because it's not like a guaranteed major company contract where if you don't show up, you're getting a guaranteed money per week, per month, anything like that. So there was also that kind of financial security, I imagine, that also is a benefit. Right. And of course, just the dream, you know, <laughs> you're trying to exactly. like, get into wrestling because you have a dream, you know, um, and, you know, that's that was where you chased it. Probably yeah, still yeah. is I- for some crazy reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are people, think of how old we are. We're in our thirties, but like, think of how old we are, where there are people that are like young adults now. And unless they were big TNA fans or gotten to tape training or the Indies, you like in terms of major league on big cable station wrestling, WWE is all they know. You know, and that's why sometimes these guys sign with like NXT now, these young guys and people go like, why didn't they sign with AEW or New Japan or stuff? And I think with some of these people, people forget for some people, it's like WWE was wrestling like that was their entire childhood where you think about people even older than us, how really depending on where you lived, had lots of territories to choose from. If you lived in a major market, you could probably get multiple ones of them on your television. You know, people like us at least grew up with WWF and WCW and later ECW. There's a generation of people where the nostalgia, there's there's one nostalgia, but it's just labeled WWE. There's nothing else to them. Yeah, so, I mean, man, I, I'm, I'm one of those old people now that's like, I just can't imagine how anybody, if they only know about WWE, how can anybody even get into wrestling now? Like, it doesn't even make <laughs> sense to me. Like, that's how old I am. But I guess every generation probably had that attitude, yeah. right? I mean, I got into w, like wrestling, like, when I really got into it, it was probably like 94 WWF, which I don't think is considered to be like 
a particularly great other than maybe Bret Hart and some a few other guys. You know, I was kind no, of like right. the start. was not not the best. <laughs> but but you know, for me, that's what hooked me. And like the first WCW pay per view I convinced my mom to buy me was the first WCW uncensored. Which again, like it yeah. shows you. I I do think sometimes if you just have a proclivity, like if you're if you're meant to like wrestling, even bad wrestling will hook you. I guess for some yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess it just it just feels like what WWE has been over the past decade has just been something something different. I don't know, but again, what what it was in like you know 1989 or whatever when I started watching more is something different than it was in 1979. So what a, what a you know who 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 am I, who am I to say? Right. <laughs> And uh, finally, in the longest news section ever, we just got a couple quick notes. Pro Wrestling Torch again. Samoa Joe's talks with WWE haven't resulted in any formal offer being made, but there is definitely interest and plans for future conversations. Obviously, that doesn't really come to anything. Joe's TNA bound. And then finally from the Torch, I thought this was interesting. They wrote, Ring of Honor's Colt Cabana was also backstage at a recent WWE taping, but was not used. So, you know, Colt getting a bit of a look and, you know, right around the same time as Punk, but obviously we know... He doesn't go to WWE right now. He does eventually go, and it does it does not turn out well for him, unfortunately. It, pretty much the opposite of CM Punk's run, yep. except that in both cases it ended badly. So uh, <laughs> that ends with that brings us to the show we're covering today. New Frontiers took place June fourth, two thousand five, at the Amherst Pepsi Center in Buffalo, New York. Although I think it's technically it was in a. Some place, uh, Williams something? A suburb of Buffalo, it, yeah. Williamsville, which I think is yeah. like seven minutes from, or 17 yeah. minutes. Anyway, basically took place in Buffalo in front of a reported crowd of 500 fans. This was a Ring of Honor's first ever show in Buffalo. Dave wrote in The Observer that Buffalo was ECW's best consistent market and Toronto is the best wrestling city in North America. And this isn't that far away. The company has two dates booked there, the first being in June at the Pepsi Center at the on the University of Buffalo campus this summer. Because Buffalo was one of ECW's best markets, probably partially because, because of its proximity to Toronto, they were hoping to make it one of the company's key markets. Come the fall, they won't be able to book the Pepsi Center, so they are looking at the Erie County Fairgrounds for October, but there may not be enough height clearance for the lighting rigs. They aren't looking at running the Burt Flickinger Center, where ECW ran right now. I think the place held 4,000 which is out of this group's league, although it was scouted in the Pro Wrestling Torch ads. The building was basically a hockey – the building, the ring tonight, that is, for this show. The building was basically a hockey version of the Rexplex, and the show was set up inside one of the rinks. This was a bit awkward because all the general admission seats were on one side and, worst of all, were behind the boards with the glass left up. And we got, to, we got not- to see that during one of the matches too. Yeah, definitely. That was a highlight for me. It wound up not making much difference because the floor seats didn't sell out and Ring of Honor owner Kerry Silkett invited the fans and the bleachers to fill in the back rows on the floor. Apparently, Ring of Honor was reasonably happy with the advanced sales because they had already had, they already had their next Williamsville show planned for August 27th. So, Matt, we were talking about this in private a few days ago. I think, like, Basically, Ring of Honor runs two more shows in Buffalo, and then they don't run there anymore. So for all this talk about how good a market was for ECW and how close in proximity it is to Toronto and how they're happy with the first uh, the sales for this show in 500 for this time was not a horrible crowd by any means for Ring of Honor. Um, I don't know if – I haven't looked far enough ahead, but I don't know if the sale ticket sales for the next two shows are down, but I believe it's two more shows and then they're done already. They're, they're, done, they're, they're done during the Gabe Sapolsky era. 
they yeah, they do so, go they do go back after you know years later um but um you know a bunch of times but but yes during this particular era in ROH it's the, these 305 shows and then they're like all right never mind <laughs> yeah it, definitely interesting you know the ring of honor this was another one of those years where they're ter- trying to take stabs at finding new um major markets they could run regularly and this was a stab that didn't quite take apparently so um Finally, we open the show with James Gibson and Spanky backstage. Gibson says tonight they could be just like Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero at the end of WrestleMania 20. Yeah. Is, is any, that, do, we, do, we need, do we need to say anything? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's okay to be like Chris Benoit at the end of WrestleMania 20. and It's it's worse if you're like Chris Benoit at later stages of his life. Just but, the uh, fact that it was like Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, man. Just like, just like <laughs> treating that like it was – you know, this great happy I – mean, we all still felt that way in 2005. Like, man, what a moment for people who like us who love wrestling. <laughs> That's how we <laughs> thought about most- it. That's how we thought about it in June of 2005. Remember that time where we said, Matt, this is the most heartwarming moment in pro wrestling history and it will def- – this quote will definitely never come back to haunt us. And we were like having a party on an ancient Indian burial ground when we said that. And then there was a big lightning strike. And Anyway, uh, he uh, – so anyway uh, – Gibson says that he was there at WrestleMania 20, and it was awesome. Gibson is super pumped and trying to hype Spanky up, and he mentions how he's going to beat Samoan Joe tonight. Spanky says they've been friends and seen the world together, but this is the first time they've had shots like this, with no limitations. He says if they fall short tonight, they have no one to blame but themselves. They hug and walk away, Spanky's arm around Gibson. Aw, very very cute. The no limitations thing I still find weird in kayfabe terms, you know? Like, like, what is the implication? Like, you know, that like in WWE, they were like, go out there, and, but uh, try to win, but don't try that hard to win. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of that weird um, straddling of, of, of reality and, and fiction. I don't know. I completely agree. Wasn't that there, there, that one spanky comeback promo where he said something like, you know, you know, no one telling me not to do too many, you know, high flying moves or cool moves. Or he said something to that effect. Like, and even now it's like, oh, that's on the, like the borderline. Like, why would someone be telling you not to like do moves to win a wrestling match? But yeah, like, yeah. E- even like the whole thing, like when, when, when during the Aries match later where they're like, um, you know, Aries isn't going to have him try to have a thing where he's, his match isn't as good as the pure title match. And, you know, in kayfabe terms, it's sort of like, well, wouldn't he just want to win fast? But but then I, I do have to say, I ha- there is a thing in, like, MMA where guys do try to have the best fight too, right? So maybe it's not yeah. that far-fetched. I don't know. There are guys known for having, like, yeah, like, I'm, you know, like, the fight of the night. Like, actually, that's interesting. I mean, we're a, this is a tangenty show already, but I want to ask you, Matt, because I was thinking about this the other day. What do you think about Kenny Omega, call, like, hyping himself up as the best bout machine? Because that kind of goes with what you're talking about here, which is the idea of, like, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I always feel a little bit weird, like, when a wrestler's hyping how good their matches are. Like, in a way, like you said, MMA fighters sometimes do it. But it is weird. Like, shouldn't your focus be on, like, I'm the guy that wins the most, not the guy that, like, like, I, when you think about it, if you're having great wrestling matches, that means you're usually going through, like, long, arduous 50-50 matches, which wouldn't you rather, in, in kayfabe terms, be the guy that's, like, my matches aren't that exciting because I win in like three minutes and like I'm Mike Tyson in the early days where I'm knocking a guy out in the second round. Although his fight, he, although his fights were exciting for that very reason, but yeah, 
yeah. I mean, yes, truly, Mike Tyson, as they often say, the Bill Goldberg of professional boxing. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, do you think, like, do you think wrestlers should be, like, hype themselves up as, like, you know, I'm all about the great matches, like, in storyline? If I was, like, the in charge of all wrestling, I probably wouldn't go that route myself. But it's, you know, at this point, it's such a such a common thing you know i mean Shawn michaels mr wrestlemania right the showstopper yeah. right rob van dam right the whole the whole uh fucking show right like just like <gasps> that's, that's what stood for all this time i never knew that <laughs> the whole farting show <laughs> uh, matt i never like to assume so that, i just kept my mind the, open that's the parody of rob van dam where he hosts like a talk show called the whole farting show and everyone just like has like fart competitions i don't know anyway um <laughs> <laughs> the uh but no but but seriously like 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 I, I i it's not my favorite thing but it's in a long tradition of that sort of uh gloating i suppose yeah it's not something like i'm outraged by or, or, or occasionally it feels a little bit weird it's not something big but i i like i just wanted to talk about that because like you talk about that i was like you hit on something that i've kind of privately felt for a long time my um, my, my, my my objection to it is who calls them bouts <laughs> sometimes when i was writing like recaps for things like i would eventually like get tired of running matches and i would start writing bout occasionally just to mix it up and i was going what am i from like the 40s but i would keep doing it like oh what if you are this though? bout was pretty good what if you are from the 40s yeah, time traveling that's right uh we go so we go elsewhere backstage where lacy cloudy and cheech are somewhere that sounds like it's near a loud buzzing machine possibly a soda machine that's just off camera i don't know how they couldn't have found a better spot to cut this promo uh lacy says she couldn't be in new york for the recent uh new manhattan mayhem show because she was signing sponsorship deals for uh lacy's angels she calls cloudy her personal assistant and cheech her secretary she orders cloudy to get her some water cheech wants to know where izzy and deranged are tonight and lacy says she gave them a bonus and some time off because they deserve it cheech wants to know when he'll get a chance like that lacy says he'll get him a match tonight but if he fails it's back to doing the books for her for for him well, technically doing the books for her, but it'll be for him. So it's kind of funny for me, some reason for me to think of like Cheech, like doing somebody's taxes for some reason. Like, yeah, this is my accountant, Cheech. But hey, you know, oh, he can do mine. I don't care. Um, <laughs> she she seemed like she was in a good mood, which is very unlike the Lacey they typically present. Like she was just like, yeah, things are great. We're getting sponsorships. All right, I'll give you a break, Cheech. Like she was uncharacteristically um, positive in this promo. Um, and I, and I kind of liked it. It was like, you know what? Lacey should just be more like happy-go-lucky. She also, you left, out, you left out that she was getting um, sponsorships with P. Diddy. <laughs> well, he was at Manhattan Mayhem, Matt. We all know that. Um, right. <laughs> so we, finally, we go to our opening match. Uh, the Embassy of Fast Eddie and Jimmy Rave with Jade Chung and Prince Nana defeated El Generico and Salvatore Renaro in 11 minutes, 34 seconds, when Rave pinned Renaro after hitting the Rave Clash. Matt, this was Sal Renaro's debut in Ring of Honor as Sal Renaro. I think he had made an appearance on at least one Ring of Honor show as Mello, a member of Special K. But this is really, I mean, for all intents and purposes, his real uh, debut in Ring of Honor, uh, what do you think about the match and uh, Sal Renaro? He got quite a bit of time here. I think Sal actually uh, was pretty good, considering it's. It was interesting to see Jimmy Rave go from main eventer to 
opening match guy, but not just opening match, like an opening match against two like real undercarders at the time. You know, these guys had no stature in ROH, um, uh, Renaro and, and Generico. And, uh, you know, Fast Eddie wasn't exactly a, a top name either. Um, but Prezak, uh was the most disappointing person in this match to me. Uh, Gabe and Prezak were on commentary. And the first thing Prezak says is, I noticed the ring steps are pretty hot. Oh, wait, that's just Jade Chung. I would never have expected that from Dave Prezak of all people. Right? Like, is it just me? Yeah, yeah, I mean, knowing how big of a champion... I mean, obviously, I mean, I don't. I always hate when people act like it was a different time when it was only 16 years ago, but the standards for in wrestling for how the treatment of women were way different. And he was playing along with a gimmick that Gabe was putting in place. But yeah, knowing how big a champion of women's wrestling he is and how influential and important he's been, it was a little surprising to hear him just like playing along with it and not doing maybe more of a Mark Nolte kind of like, Gabe, you misogynist, you shouldn't like this kind of act, like being more of that kind of guy. Yeah, I imagine that Prezak probably didn't feel comfortable doing that to Gabe, but <laughs> just like, kind of like, yeah, not going along with it, at least just being outraged by it, if any, you know, if anything, and not the, because, you know, Gabe wasn't really doing that. Gabe was actually more of the, uh, you know, this is outrageous how they're treating Jade Chung. Um, yeah. But I thought it was like a very opener style opener, if that makes sense. Like, just a... You know, they're, the, the the faces come in, and they're and and the embassy are healing it up. The baby faces are hitting um, leapfrogs and drop kicks and arm drags and all that stuff. And you know, Renaro does a pretty impressive run up moonsault press on on Eddie, and the crowd is very excited for him to hot tag Generico. Um, you know, Rave does you know the distracting the ref thing a couple times and. You know, there's a good spot when the ref is tied up arguing with Generico and Rave pulls Sal into his corner so he and Eddie could work him over some more. Um, and they get the heat on him. And the crowd's pretty hot, I have to say, for the opener. They would not be that way for every match, but they were pretty into, <laughs> they were pretty into the opener. Um, you know, cheering Sal on and Rave keeps cutting him off. Um, like, there, uh, there, I, like, there was a nice touch where, where Rave had... Add Sal in a hold, and then he tags in Eddie, and Eddie puts on the same exact hold. You know, you don't see that very often in tag team matches, and it makes sense, right? If you're working a hold, and it's like one guy gets tired, just let the other guy keep working the hold, right? That that actually yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, there wasn't a ton of tag team matches with Rave and Eddie, but I thought they they were pretty all right. Um, uh, eventually, um, well, well, at one point, Sal goes for a crossbody, but Eddie catches him. Gets him up on his shoulders and drops him down across his knee. Um, Rave keeps getting his licks in whenever the uh, the referee is distracted. They're really healing it up. Um, at a certain point, Renaro reverses a hip toss into a shin breaker on Rave, and he quickly tags in Generico. Generico is a house of fire, um, but Rave cuts him off with a gonorrhea. And Renaro hits what Prezak calls the Phoenix Fury leg drop, which I can't really describe, but it was cool. Um, meanwhile, Eddie drops him on his neck. Um, Generico hits the Haluva kick on Eddie. He sends Raven to the turnbuckle with like a powerbomb type of thing and dives onto Eddie out of nowhere, which is very classic Generico at the time, just like hitting that dive out of nowhere. Um, uh, Rave eventually hits the the running knee and the Rave clash for the win. Uh, it was, I think, a by the book's opener, like in terms of just the structure, but some solid athletic spots. Uh, 
I actually thought Renaro was more impressive than Generico here, like just in this particular match, obviously not not in general. Um, like nothing went wrong, um, which is good for an ROH opener, um, but not, nothing special happened either. Um, so it was, I th- but I think it was pretty solid. Like as as far as openers go, it was a very very opener type of match. But I don't think that you can really complain too much about it. I don't think you could say like it didn't live up to expectations or anything like that. I think it did what it was going for mostly. I thought it was a decent opener, nothing special. I obviously agree with you. Um, I, like you said, it falls kind of a basic, you know, traditional structure, kind of a little bit of healing. Uh, I thought Sal Renaro was really trying hard here. And like you covered most of the highlights, he did some really cool stuff. He also had a couple spots, like a couple strikes that didn't look that great. There was a, one spot where he does like, like a flipping cutter to a, or stunner type move to rave and raves going down way before Sal's coming down with grabbing his head even. And there's a spot late in the match where he's doing a springboard late in the match. And it feels like it must've been a botch because rather than show the hard cam, they show the, uh, the ringside handheld cam that is way so close that you can't see what's going on. And typically only ring of honor only does a cut like that when that's like the best available shot to hide something. But overall, I thought Sal was working really hard and did a lot of the coolest stuff in the match. Which you went over like the flip moonsault off the buckles. I felt like he was – you could tell he was working hard. Like like he was taking hard bumps even on just like stuff like getting his hair pulled. He would take like a pretty good energetic bump off that. He was really trying to you know get a spot here. And I know he's he was friends with uh, one of – a good friend with Jimmy Rave. So I'm sure you know working with his friend, trying to get into the company – you know he's he's put, trying to do, put his best foot forward. He had the uh, the classic "Save by the Bell" themed "Save by the Cell" trunks on, and I do agree that Cell made more of an impression in this match than uh, Generico. But it also felt like he was getting more of the match than Generico. Like even when Generico got the hot tag, like Generico tagged back out to Sal, who had just played like the face in peril very quickly during the hot tag, and I was like, okay, you go back, Sal. This this really did feel like this was kind of like Sal's match to make an impression. And, and, and you and, notice that, um, you know, it worked because Sal ended up being a tag team champion in ROAs later that year, and Generico ended up disappearing for a year and a half. Exactly. It's all this match's fault, or credit, Matt. It, all this match. But uh, th- did you notice this one spot, which I, I, I noticed? Um, so at one point in the match, Generico's going to go for a standing moonsault on Fast Eddie, and Eddie is like sta- – he's on his side selling instead of flat on his back, and Generico's about to do the moonsault, and then he looks behind him, and he sees what Eddie's doing, that he's in no position to take the bump. And so Generico turns around, and he makes this big comical pos- production of like – grabbing Eddie, laying him on his back, like pushing his arms by his side even to make kind of a joke out of it. And then he hits the standing moonsault. And I think Gabe's even said like, what the heck was that? Or something like that. But it was clear that like Generico was like this fucking guy, you know, is doing some weird selling and taking himself out of position for my spot. So I'm just going to like put him where I want, but kind of just try and turn into something funny. And I thought that was a very (laughs) cute moment. Um, so yeah, decent match. I also noticed Matt the someone threw a, lo- a roll of toilet paper at a rave. I think uh, before the match started, I think one roll of toilet paper. I think the word toilet paper watch uh, continues. Wow! But <laughs> that's another thing we're tracking. Um, cut to backstage where Alex Shelley talks about the bitter feud he's had with Generation Next. He goes over his fractured arm and almost beating Aries for the title. 
Shelley says he's called upon the angels to lighten his load, but no one has answered. So he has to do it on his own. He says, tonight against Roderick Strong, it's an eye for an eye or maybe a spine for a spine. So, you know, Shelley with the called upon the angels thing, again, continuing to reference that, you know, he keeps looking for help. No one's helping him, which will, they will really drive that point home later in the night. He'll, he'll regret saying a spine for a spine, though. <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, so next up would be Loke defeated Cheech via pinfall in four minutes, 11 seconds with a small package. Uh, this was not much at all. This was a this was a rare heel versus heel match where both guys act like a heel. Usually in a heel versus heel match, I find one heel will go off. Well, for this match, I'll kind of just basically more act like the babyface and take the role. This was a match where Loke at one point verbally shits on the Buffalo fans. But then so you go, oh, well, he's the heel in this match. But then later, Lacey distracts the ref, which allows Cheech and Clay to hit the a big dropkick 619 double team. Uh, Cheech follows that up with a shooting star press, but Loke turns that into a a small package for the win so both guys being heels in different ways in this match i felt kind of bad like there wasn't much of this match but like cheech did a few nice moves and didn't do any botches and i felt kind of bad that this was like you know probably his most prominent match in ring of honor thus far and he loses basically as hard as you can lose in the sense of he gets sa- in a four minute match. He gets saved by his manager distracting the ref during a key near fall. He then gets to hit a big double team with his partner behind the ref's back. He then immediately hits a shooting star press, and he still loses immediately, <laughs> cleanly. And I felt like, well, oh, you're just uh, not doing good. But Matt, before I get your um, opinion, I just want to say this is my favorite part of this whole match was. Loke comes out wearing a new shirt that says fat, drunk, and pissed off. He comes to the ring with a ball of Jack Daniels. He takes a swig and he spits it in Cheech's face to start the match. So we're starting this kind of um, era of the Carnage crew. And I like that on Gabe at one point on commentary points out how good of shape Loke had got himself into months earlier and how bad he physically looks now after the suspension, which is true. And he says the Carnage crew are best when they're fat, drunk, and pissed off. And I think Loke may have like finagled one of the great moves of our time where he somehow got we we talked about last year there was a time in 2004 where he got into like really impressively good shape and he clearly has lost that and somehow he's gotten that to be sold as like a good thing <laughs> like he might be the only wrestler where he's he's gained a bunch of weight back and they're like you know what now that he's fat this is for the best. He's going to be even better now. So, you know, good for him. That's something we can all dream of, of getting a lot of weight and being like, you know what? This is an improvement in his life. He made the right decision. At the same time, Carnage Crew's gone in a few months also. Um, so. uh, yeah, okay. Maybe that ruins my – yeah, maybe, maybe you completely just took out my point. Yeah. I would also disagree with another point you made. I don't actually think this was Cheech's most prominent match because he did have that match at Stalemate where he teamed with uh, Deranged against um, – against Dixie and Angel Dust, and that was a longer and better match. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, you're right. But if you are going to say this is his most prominent singles match, would you also say this was Loke's most prominent and possibly only singles match in ROH? Because I can't think of another one. Uh, There might have been. At least not wearing a mask. At least as Loke. As 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 a masked superstar. Yeah, as Loke. Gabe also calls this a bonus attraction match, which can you imagine being the fan who watches this and like, oh, bonus, Cheech versus Loke. Um, um, I feel like, you know, no, nothing against these guys like as wrestlers, but like in terms of like star power and t- match time and stuff, it feels like this match was put there just to show that this was a B show. Um Right? Like, it's like this is not the kind of match they would have put on the Manhattan Mayhem DVD. You know what I mean? Um 
but like it was it was short it was two guys that you know one guy who really hadn't been doing anything at all one guy who just never wrestled singles matches um and yeah i mean it's um yeah it was basically like they did a few moves cheech had did some cool moves um gabe makes fun of Loke for being fat um and yeah and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of enthusiasm behind a lot of the moves like even cheech's cool moves you feel like they weren't like done with their most oomph, except for maybe a shooting star press, which I did not expect in this match. Um, I also what did about not. Ex- we did the springboard headlock. Yeah, I like that stuff. That that stuff always gets me. <laughs> um, the um, I also did not expect the finish to just be like a fluky roll up, right? Like, like you know, <laughs> you know, like that's just you, you figure like Loke is fat, pissed off, he's just gonna kick this guy's ass, but nope, just like. Oops! I just got hit with your move, but now I'm going to cradle you. Um, we, yeah, just I can't. This is a very difficult match to characterize. It wasn't bad. Yeah. It wasn't good. And it seems there. It seemed to be there. Like I said, just to like let people know this is not the most important show that we've done in a while. And also, just to make clear, Devito is not on the show. According to Gabe on commentary, he says Devito isn't here tonight because he had to take extra hours at his regular job to make up for the lost wages from their the Carnage Crew's enforced Ring of Honor suspension that they suffered when they lost in the scramble cage to the Ring Crew Express and had to take ninety days off. So the fact that Loke worked the show and Devito didn't, I guess that that tells you, Matt, a, a wrinkle in the Carnage Crew characters. Loke has a higher paying job than Devito. Yeah. Apparently, I also. Uh, I- yeah, so the one the one missed opportunity they had with the Carnage crew, they always complained about their crappy jobs. I wish they just bothered saying what they were. You know? Like <laughs> I, I you know, I wanna I wanna know. Like well what was what is their shitty job? Garbage man. Works you know, the it depends on what Something city like depends on what city you live in. You can make a lot of money being a sanitation worker. In New York City you can, with the overtime and the benefits. Just saying. And I, actually, I realized my docs was a bad example too because I realized that like some of those like long like working on the docs, depending on what you do, you can make pretty good money. So uh, yes, and also much respect to sanitation workers. That is a really important and tough job, and I really appreciate you if you are if any of you are listening. Definitely. That is a that is a job, and you deserve to get paid a lot of money. As does all as do all workers. But um, yeah, yeah, but no, but it's true. Like in in, in NYC, like. Taking the, uh, the the test to get into the Department of Sanitation, like it only comes up once every few years, and it's very competitive actually, because it's it's a pretty coveted uh, job. Wow, a test! I I, I guess the, there would be, but I just never thought of that. A, a test to be a sanitation worker, huh? Yeah, I mean they do a lot. Of, I, mean, I, I kind of want to see that test. Yeah, I mean they're garbage collectors, but they also do a lot of other stuff too. Yeah, I imagine nowadays it's it's changing in different ways too anyway um we return backstage to a great pro a promo a gr- great in a weird way uh, matt was so excited about this promo that he was ahead of me watching the show and he clipped the promo so i could so i would watch it immediately after he saw it because he was so excited and it is it's definitely a slice of something so i'll try and do this justice as best i can we return backstage. Gabe is uh, behind the camera. He wants to know – Colt Cabana is there, and he, Gabe wants to know when Colt is going to shoot Good Times, Great Memories for the show. But Colt's not interested. He's looking for CM Punk. He finds him in a locker room listening to music. A somber, serious Colt then tells Punk that their tag match tonight against Nigel McGuinness and Chad Collier is big, and he needs all the help he can get from Punk. Punk says, yeah, and uh, says Colt doesn't have to keep repeating it. He, he knows. Colt just ignores this and gets more and more agitated, going over all the times he's helped Punk so far in Ring of Honor. 
Punk again at this point says, like, I don't know where you're going with this. Uh, yeah, I get it. Colt, getting more angry, says he has a problem. Ring of Honor has a locker room cancer. America has a cancer. And it's Nigel McGuinness. Punk finally interrupts him and he says, look, problems are me trying to wrestle Austin Aries for the world title. Problems are me having to go through a policeman, our favorite phrase, Matt, like Roderick <laughs> Strong first. And then Cole at this point interrupts Punk. He's just screaming now that I'm serious, Punk. You know, Nigel's getting on my nerves. I want to ha- I wanted to have straight matches with him, but Nigel cheated. Punk at this point now finally starts screaming back. Colt screams so loud that it's blowing out the audio on this on this DVD. Uh, but he's screaming that, you know, Punk's always about himself. And this one time he needs Punk to help him as a friend, as a Second City Saint, as a Chicagoan, as his best friend. And then after that huge screaming promo, there's a moment of silence. Punk then says, you're going to yell at me? Punk, and Colt sheepishly says, please, and gives a goofy grin in this aw shucks expression. Punk then says, "He, I told you I'd be there for you. I'm going to be there for you tonight. They walk away. Punk puts his arm around Colt, and then they shake hands. Matt, this was insanely weird tonally. Um, Colt being insanely mad and over the top in the content of his promo, acting like Punk was hesitant to help him when Punk in this promo and before this promo, to my knowledge, has never once been like hesitant to help Colt, especially in this match. Uh, and then all followed by the weird emotional ramp down at the end where all, Colt goes from being like furious to being like, please wink and I can I can only guess that they did the promo this way because they felt like we need to plant seeds for like the uh, the Punk Colt match that's going to come in months, you know, where you know they're going to do that story where you know Punk won't show up for good times, great memories, and try and build a little tension for the final match Punk has. But like otherwise, I don't get why Colt was this angry and they acted like like they were trying to build some weird Punk Colt tension that they had never teased before. It didn't make any sense, but but I loved it. I'm extremely glad it exists. I think it's so entertaining and ridiculous. Like I really can't complain about it. Like it's weird. Like it's weird in a in a enjoyable way. But yes, total nonsense. Like he he starts screaming. He's like, "Stop saying I I I." Punk starts by saying, "Okay, I'll help." Then I guess the implication <laughs> is that Punk deep down knew that he didn't like Punk deep down didn't really think that the Nigel situation was serious, right? Like, he kind of he kind of had the sense, even though Punk was saying that he took it seriously. And he got Punk to basically admit that his that Colt's problem wasn't as serious as Punk's. But then, you're right, he starts screaming, but then he ramps it down and does the sheepish thing, almost to indicate, like, he wasn't actually angry, he was just pretending to be angry to get Punk's attention, right? Like, I... Yeah. But, whatever. I mean, <laughs> it didn't make any sense, but it was, it was a hoot to watch. And, you know... Um, of all the things involving CM Punk and Colt Cabana on this DVD, um, this one was the best. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I want to say, like, if you for people that are fans of Colt Cabana, like, it's worth seeking out this promo because, like, yes, Colt Cabana's other, done other like serious promos and feuds in, in his wrestling career, but like, I can't recall another time Colt's ever been like this, like, literally screaming out the top of his lungs, just trying to sell being absolutely furious and, you know, calling Nigel McGuinness a cancer to America. Like, if you're a big Colt Cabana fan, this is definitely something you should see. Well, just just, just put it on Twitter because there's there's no way for anyone to seek this out. It's impossible. Um, yeah, I, I should throw it up on Twitter or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, the uh, but yeah, maybe if we showed this to Punk and Cabana now, they would they would make up. 
<laughs> like, that's, that's how easy it is. We just, you know, cult just like, please. <laughs> they should have done that like right after like whatever settlement or whatever they reached when, you know, they were suing each other or, or cult was suing for like mm-hmm. lawyer fees. Like you should have just after the settlement, just like shrug, like, oh, are we a cool? <laughs> just walk away. But uh, exactly. That brings us to the next match. Homicide defeated Kevin Steen via pinball in 12 minutes, 44 seconds after he hit a lariat. Um, we've talked about before. Steen has talked about on various shoot interviews he's done because he's done like a million. Uh, his first ring of honor run was not very good. He himself does not consider it good. And he talked, has talked about he out. It's that was the run where he discovered that he, that his personality was an essential component of his act. And I feel like this match, you really see that because mechanically like steam does some cool offense i would say homicide probably gives him like 40 percent of the match which at this point in their careers where steam was scraping just to get onto these shows and homicide was a big star that's pretty generous and you know there's some fairly decent action and and steam does hit some steam's moonsault in this match is like one of the best moonsaults i've ever seen from him it, it is a glorious like graceful smooth buttery smooth like the rotation moonsault just really nice absolutely and i I felt like but watching this match just seeing him do some his some of his cool offense and barely doing any emoting or or at all like it steen absolutely i agree with him like his personality whether he's a face or a heel that's like an essential part of him like he he has been in matches where it's just about you know hitting big moves and being cool and he's had some really great ones but i think in general you don't come to see kevin steen to do a like match with no story and no you know emotional investment from him and no character work and this match like it's it's decent. It's a little bit above average, but I don't think it's anything special. And I also feel like there's this weird moment late. There's a couple of weird moments in this match, like late in the match, some or deep in the match, at least, um, you know, the, the whole match had been going at like a good medium tempo. All of a sudden things kind of start slow to a crawl for a while where homicide just puts steen in multiple submissions. I think seemingly to try and get the crowd behind steen like you would, but only kind of half works because homicides, the way bigger star at this point than steen is. And it just kind of slows the match down. And also homicide isn't re- This is probably the least heelish homicides been in months and months. Like he's kind of playing along, uh, playing with the crowd a bit. He's smiling more. He's, it's kind of like the most laid back, I would say like playful, I would say homicides been in months. And so that just kind of doesn't work. And I would also say there's a bit of a weird vibe in the sense that there's a few moments in this match where it, where there's like, between moves, there's, there's these very brief but little awkward pauses where it's almost like whoever's gotten control of the match is trying to figure out what to do next. Like, it's just, it just felt kind of off. A little, it was not a bad match, but it felt kind of off to me. And I can see again why Kevin Steen just felt like he wasn't really himself on this run. But, uh, what do you think, Matt? I agree with you that, like, the slow down part in the middle is kind of what took the match down for me. I think that, you know, the ending was was pretty good. The, the the early pace was good. I think if they had just kept up that pace, it would have been a perfectly fine match, you know, or a good match. Um, but that that when the fact when that it got slow and dull, you know, I think you know it just it took took me out of it. I I didn't really mind Homicide, you know, acting more loose and fun. You know, I know that's not really what they were trying to get over, but like just as far as pure just entertainment, I enjoyed seeing Homicide in that mode, you know, kind of playing with the crowd a little bit and, you know, getting distracted by a fan, um, which kind of allowed Steen to take over. 
Um, but um, it also makes sense that the crowd was cheering Homicide. Like you said, Homicide's a star. And as far as I could tell, even though Steen wasn't really presented with much of a character up until now, he certainly hasn't been presented as a baby face, right? Um, yeah. Like... It hasn't really been presented as anything. I mean, we go to that that anecdote. I think we talked about on our, our earlier show where one of the early Ring of Honor shows, Steen like asked Gabe, "Am I a heel or a baby face?" And apparently, he says Gabe just told him just wrestle. Like, yeah, like which, didn't really give him any guidance. Yeah, which I'm okay. So he did what he was told, right? Um, yeah. Uh, but I so I enjoyed that part. I also have to say this one other thing I would add because I pretty much agree with your assessment on the match. Can, how many wrestlers can you think of that look more different? Than Kevin Steen does than from from here, you know what I mean? Like he just looks like a different guy. Just like and actually, by the end of two thousand seven, I would say he looked completely different than he does here. Yeah, he definitely had uh, you know that very like literal kind of in a weird way baby face, like the baby fat on the face. But it's funny, like it's it's funny watching this match. Did you get like have you ever thought of this during this era of Kevin Steen where people were like. People were harping on Kevin Steen being like overweight and wearing a t-shirt at this point. Like this is he, he looks doesn't skinny. look that over Yeah, exactly. Like maybe he has a little bit of softness in in his midsection, but he he by like like the Kevin Steen you see in WWE even at like probably some of his better moments times of health in WWE is way more overweight than this Kevin Steen that initially got ragged on by people. He's bigger. I will. I would say. I won't, I won't use the term overweight, but he was. He was. He. He's. He's obviously much bigger um, in all yeah. of his successful eras. Um, then yeah, but he, he just like he just looks like a fresh faced, athletic youngster here that happens to be wearing a t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> A um, couple other things I noticed in the match: um, super hard lariat from Homicide. It looks like it hit, it, like it hit Steen right in the side of the head. And we actually get the a rare post match instant replay of it, which I thought that's how good the lariat was. They had to do like a weird for like the third match on the show, a not particularly important match. They were like, we're going to show this on replay. Um, Gabe explains why Julius Smokes isn't at the show. He said, Gabe says it's because Julius Smokes is a wanted man in this part of the country, which, uh, uh yeah, I, yeah. I, oh I, my, I, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also thought there was a cute moment. Did you notice early on Gabe shouts out that he just saw some girls who used to hit the front row of every ECW show. And Gabe seems like genuinely, like genuinely like touched. Yeah. Happy to see them there. Yeah. yeah. He's like, Hey, they're, they're here. Like, and he gives them like this little shout out. I thought, Oh, that's kind of a, a cute moment. It kind of reminds you of Gabe's ECW roots. That he's like, Oh yeah. Like Gabe was a big part of that company in different ways. Yeah. No, it's, it was, it was really, uh, that was, that was nice. So, uh, Moving on to the Ring of Honor Tag Team title match, B.J. Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs successfully defended the titles when they defeated the Ring Crew Express of Dunn and Marcos in 13 minutes, 26 seconds, when Jacobs pinned Dunn after he hit the Doomsday Rana. Uh, Matt, I mistakenly said that the Cheech match was the most prominent match of his career. In some ways, you'd have to say, I mean, probably in, in terms of their moment of glory up to this point in Ring of Honor, winning Scramble Cage is the more prominent win. But I can't remember a time that the Ring Crew Express has gotten like 13 minutes, let alone in a tag title match. Big, probably definitely one of the most prominent matches they had in Ring of Honor. What did you what did you think about them getting like a real, you know, real shot here at at Kind of a serious match. Yeah, one of like the the the, the, the biggest chance for them to showcase themselves in like a real match, right? Like that, yeah. that's sort of like how you could say it. Um, I didn't love this. Um, I think there were good things about it. Um, you know, and they definitely worked really hard. 
But the crowd, you know, for completely understandable reasons, didn't buy it. I mean, they were definitely in favor of Dunn and Marcos. They were cheering for them big time early in the match. And, you know, Whitmer, Whitmer and Jacobs did some subtle heel stuff because they uh, they jumped them before the bell. Um, even though they did, they did follow the code of honor. Like, they shook their hands, and then they jumped them. Um, and... Um, they were, you know, the Rinku Express, they got to do a little bit of offense early. They hit their high-fiving Bulldogs early. Um, they, uh, they um, you know, kind of settled down with some basic, like, Jacobs versus um, the Rinku Express, like, doing arm drags and stuff like that. And Gabe talked about the rags-to-riches story of Dunn and Marco, saying they weren't very good when they came in. And now they're fighting for the tag titles. Although, I do say, after this, they go down the card. And um, you don't really see much of them after 2005. So this is sort of like, this match might actually be their peak. I mean, I guess they do well, get to do the, the Carnage Crew feud. But like, yeah. even like that, like really most of those matches are squashes. My, my favorite part of when Gabe said that is right as he's saying that, Dunn kind of half bodges a move where he flips up with the ropes and his foot catches on one of the ropes. And I was like, he, just as Gabe says, like, oh, they weren't very good, but now they've improved. And I like the Ring Crew Express, but it was like the most worst time for him to make that quote. Yeah, I would agree with that. They also like do a lot of like we- like weird comedy stuff. Like there's this whole sequence in the middle of the match where like – Whitmer comes in and Ring Crew Express grab his arms and do like double air guitar with his arms. Then Jacobs like he starts doing an air guitar of his own, I guess, to like suck them in because they put up their hands to high five him. And when they do that, it means they let go of Whitmer. And then Whitmer and Jacobs kick each of their hands. And it was pretty convoluted and I didn't really think it was funny. I guess nice try though. But then after that, like the Ringer Express grab their hands in like a huss position because they've both been kicked, and then Jimmy hushes it, husses at them, and then he tells Whitmer to huss, and Whitmer refuses. So Jacobs kicks him in the hand, caught getting him to huss, and then Whitmer is pissed off, calls Jacobs a little bastard, goes after him, and that allows Dunn and Marcos to attack um, to attack Whitmer, and. I I mean I just like well this is a twist and I I don't know it didn't work for me I don't I don't know about you um, but I don't think that I don't think it helped the match I guess uh, but I guess they were trying to do something different I don't know um, but you know there um, there the that at that point Whitmer um, takes over and he's getting the heat on, on Marcos and that's what a lot of the match is um, at one point Prazak is talking about you know, the success of Whitmer and Jacobs, and they say they put a lot of teams away with the Doomsday Rana, but we can confirm they've only put one team away with that move, right? Um, they've only yeah. won with that move once. Um, but, um, you know, they get a, they get a few near falls, um, they do some frequent tags, you know, you know the drill. Um, I, I, it felt like after the whole comedy thing, the crowd's enthusiasm got pretty dulled. They were pretty quiet for most of it, and the work on M- Marcos was pretty methodical, you know, I don't think Marcos had enough sympathy from the crowd to really sustain it. Um, but they do build up to the hot tag, which is not that hot. And Dunn comes in and, you know, he does um, some big moves, um, big belly to back on Jacobs onto his head. Um, blocks the Contra code, hits the gory bomb for two. Whitmer breaks that up. Um, Marcos hits Whitmer in the back. Whitmer no-sells it, so... Dunn and Marcos do a double team combo, like swinging DDT on Whitmer. Um, they uh, they do a kick, um, 
into a assisted slice bread on Jacobs, and uh, the assisted senton gets two before Whitmer pulls Dunn off of Jacobs. Marcos goes for the senton off of Dunn's shoulders on t- on top on the top, but Whitmer cuts them off and hits an exploder on Marcos off the top off of Dunn's shoulders, which and I that 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 was pretty cool, I have to say. And Marcos rolls out of the ring and. Whitmer exploders done onto the turnbuckle, and they hit the Doomsday Rana and get the three count. Um, I don't know. I, I just the pacing was off. I didn't like the comedy. I thought the the crowd was quiet. Um, like I said, it wasn't all bad. It certainly wasn't a bad match, I would say, but it just didn't do it for me. Yeah, I would say this was again like slightly above average, but not like you know not that special. Um, this match kind of made me feel like a jerk in the sense of, I feel like, you know, we both are fans of the Ring Crew Express on this podcast. And I feel like a lot of times when I've watched, maybe not a lot of times, but a few times when we've watched like short Ring Crew Express matches, which are most Ring Crew Express matches in Ring of Honor, you know, they're usually in multi-man, t- multi-tags or uh, scrambles. And they're usually, or if they are working a singles matches, like four or five minutes where they do a lot of selling. And I always, there'd be a few times where I would say like, Oh, they, should um i i would love to see what they could do in a longer match and i feel like i got what i wanted and then i didn't really i at the end of it i went you know what maybe they're better working like six minute matches like because i i felt like we didn't see anything different from the ring crew express they basically did everything we've ever seen them do stuff i've enjoyed and then they just stretched it out for a 13 minute match instead of like five or six minutes in a scramble or something and for whatever reason i feel like I just liked it more. I liked it when it's condensed. I, I feel like it, it, nothing was really added to it by it being in a longer, more traditional format tag match for some reason. I agree that like when BJ and Jimmy were in control for that one sequence, it kind of got a little bit boring. I feel like something I've noticed watching all these matches is I think one of the hardest things for tag teams to get good at is like having a, being in control of the match in the middle for a long sequence and like keeping it engaging for some reason that seems to even some really good tag teams have some trouble doing that sometimes. Um, it, there was, it was a bit of a novelty to see like the ring crew express isolate Jimmy Jacobs early on and like actually be in control of a match and have someone else be like the underdog for a couple minutes. So that was like a bit of like, Oh, that's a weird, neat thing to see that you've like never seen from these guys before. But yeah, for the most part, it didn't feel like, Oh, like, a big new world for the ring crew express. It felt more just like I've seen this shorter and more condensed. And I guess my other takeaway from this match was like going to all the points you made, you did a really good job of recapping like what Whitmer and Jacobs did in this match. Like I don't, I feel like I know they were, there was, they were not initially in the plans. Jacobs and Whitmer were thrown together because of the Dan Moff firing. But like, I kind of, they still don't really have like an identity. Like, I don't know what they're supposed to be. So when they come out, you know, Jacobs is doing the jungle boy thing where he's on, um, BJ's shoulders and he's doing the hus. And then, like you said, they then jump the ring express before the bell, which feels like almost like an aggressive, a heel thing, or at least like a really aggressive ass kicker tag team thing, which, you know, that was basically like a moth and Whitmer spot, but it seems kind of weird with Jimmy doing it. And then, like you said, later in the match, we get like really goofy comedy with everyone hussing, including BJ and then BJ chasing Jacobs and calling him like you little shit or whatever. Like, I don't know if they're supposed to be a heel tag team, a face tag team. I don't know if we're supposed to take them seriously. I don't know if they're supposed to be like an odd couple. I don't know if they're supposed to how much comedy we're supposed to like. It just seems like they don't really have a well-defined kind of identity or place in the company other than just 
they're the tag team champions, and sometimes Jimmy husses. And yeah, yeah, yeah I, I guess it, if that, I were if I were to say their identity, which is, it's just that um, you know Whitmer respects Jimmy Jacobs' toughness. Jacobs is trying to be a little more serious, but he's also really annoying to Whitmer. I guess that would be the that would be yeah, the closest I mean, thing you could say to their identity. I think this is the first match where they even show annoyance, though. But maybe that will continue going on. But like before, this it just felt like oh, they're a team that's on the same page. But did the con- on, did the comedy work for you? Um, it was I I didn't I probably liked it maybe a little bit more than you, but at the same time it felt kind of again out of place. Like I I don't know it just it I don't know it, this match didn't really just click completely for me, and I I basically agree with you about the whole match. It, it just. You know, not not the best of any of those guys. But moving on, Roderick Strong defeated Alex Shelley via pinfall in 20 minutes, two seconds after he hit a half Nelson backbreaker. Before I get to the match, there was a little bit of uh, promo work before the match. Right as the bell rings for the match, Austin Aries' music hits. He comes to the ring. He grabs the mic and introduces himself to Buffalo. He calls himself the guy who beat Samoa Joe not once but twice and the guy who made Brian Danielson pack his bags and leave Ring of Honor, as well as the guy who defended the Ring of Honor title all over the world. He says tonight he'll break Spanky in two and continue his reign. Aries then says he's also the guy who took Alex Shelley's spot in Generation Next as the leader. Aries gives Shelley one last chance to leave the ring before Roderick Strong breaks his back tonight. Shelley then says he'll take his chances, and he jabs Aries for having a bad neck, saying Spanky's finish focuses on that region. Aries is mad, says his neck is just fine. He doesn't know where this rumor got started. He takes a swing at Shelley, but Shelley avoids it and fires back, and then the match is on. I feel, like the, whole, I feel like the whole point of the promo was to mention the neck thing. Yeah, and then Aries sells his neck as he goes to the back. Yeah, I, I guess they thought that maybe would add some extra juice to the main event. We can talk about whether it did or didn't at that point. But yeah, it really feels like... Just it was to talk about the neck, but as for the match, you would expect this match to be good, Matt. I was surprised how much I like this. I think this is a hidden gem. I would call this outright like great. I would say this is like a four star match, and you know, I'm a bit more strict on stuff. I, I think this is an outright great match. Uh, we saw them have a match a few shows ago, and I think we both liked it, but I think we both kind of shared the criticism where for two guys that are supposed to be feuding, there wasn't that much hatred. I feel like this match was almost like they heard our criticism and like responded to it because the first third of this match is one of the wildest crowd brawls, I think, up to this point in Ring of Honor history. Maybe not the wildest, but it's in the in the conversation. Uh, Shelly throws Strong into the front row no fewer than I would say. I think I counted f- at least four times. Seemingly like no regard for the fans. Like every time like he's not telling the fans to get out of the way, the guy's Strong is just landing in, in the fans' laps. Um, Shelly sometimes is like running over and jump flying over the uh, barricade to get to Strong afterwards, like doing flip dives off the barricade or running crossbodies. Um they brawl around the building and it looks awesome because as we mentioned earlier, it's in like a friggin' hockey rink and the boards and the glass is still up. At one point, Shelly whips uh, strong into the boards. and Unfortunately, the camera does not catch it. We just hear it. But then we do see them fight at the boards and Shelly shell shocks um, uh, Roderick strong into like the hockey glass, which again, so cool. Uh, there's and there's lots of hate in this too. It's not just cool to see what the moves, but like there's copious spitting, there's trash talking. The strikes are pretty damn hard. It's everything I wanted from these guys in their first match here. Then when they get back into the ring, it does become more of a traditional match, and I don't think it's ever quite as good as the outside brawling stuff. But I will say, even there, it's different than 
a lot of Ring of Honor matches because I find a lot of Ring of Honor matches that do an opening match crowd brawl. When they get in the ring, it's almost like a separate match. Like all the hatred is gone and they almost like they just start the match from square one and then do the regular match that we're going to do. And I felt like in this match, there was still some hatred between the two guys once they got in the ring. But more importantly, what I really liked is I felt like they were really selling like that they had already kind of been through a war in just in the Braun. Like they were doing, they were doing more, they were letting the moves breathe more between each move than you would typically see in a Ring of Honor match. Like they were selling exhaustion between moves more often, I think, than you would see in a Ring of Honor match. Like they were really selling this, like they had already really hurt each other. And, you know, and it's good wrestling. Even if it's not quite as different and as exciting as the Braun on the outside, it's still really good wrestling in the ring. Um, if I had a little quibbles, you know, there's a couple little moments in the ring that feel a little more generic, that feel a little bit more at the level of their first match, which was good, but not great like I feel this match. And it is also a little weird that during a time when they're really trying to get over the stronghold, that Roderick Strong just does the regular backbreaker and not the stronghold during the match. He'll do the stronghold after the match. But, uh, you know, maybe it's because they didn't want to have Shelly, I mean, get out of the stronghold, I guess. Yeah, but it seems weird, especially when the whole story of this match ends up being about the back, that they didn't go to that. But, I mean, there's so many little moments I like in this match. Um, I like there's a moment, you know, I like the Shelly trash talk at one point. He goes, come on, Roderick, I thought you were going to break my back, which telegraphs something for later. I love that then he takes a sip of water from some fan's bottle and then he spits it on strong. And then he tosses the bottle and it must have hit someone off camera in the crowd because we hear the crowd laughing. And Shelly just like turns and looks and he just goes like, I'm sorry. And he just kind of gives like a shrug like he kind of doesn't really care, which I thought was hilarious. But overall, um. Yeah, I I really like this match a lot. I thought this was a great match and like a, a real hidden gem. I thought. Yeah, this is one of those rare matches that I liked probably significantly less than you. Um, not that I didn't think it was good, um, but I actually did like the final showdown match more. Um, wow! I, I thought it was. Um, I liked I liked that match a lot more than you did. Also, at the time, even when we reviewed it, I thought it was. I I was a big fan of it. Um, so it's not it's not as much of an insult as it might sound, but. Um, I um I I agree with you about the early part of the match. I thought that the uh you know the opening brawl I really liked how Shelley kept throwing him over the guardrail repeatedly like like he they throw him over the guardrail they'd come back he throw him back over the guardrail. I really enjoyed that. I think um I think just my um my criticism of the match and it's you know not really criticism in that I don't know if there was really anything they could do about it, but it felt like they were going for like an epic. Like it seemed very long. But it felt too long to me. Like it felt like like the crowd was quiet for a lot of it. They worked hard. They seemed exhausted. You know, I certainly appreciate the storytelling in the match. The flow just wasn't there for me. It just there was a little bit of meandering. Um, like it just it just felt like. Um, so I don't know like what I would say they should have done differently, except maybe made it a little bit shorter. Uh, I I guess um, you know, but you know, sometimes it's good to give a match time. So I don't necessarily think that. They made the bat- wrong decision. It just didn't work for me. Um, one thing I will notice, like you mentioned, like the strikes, and yeah, they definitely hit some hard strikes. But one thing I will notice is that Roderick at this time, his punches were probably the worst of his strikes. Like his punches did not look very good in 2005, um, which surprised me because, you know, you think of Roderick as a good striker and pretty much everything else he did already looked very good. But I think his punches still. Um, needed work, and uh, you know they definitely improved. Um, but Shelley took a lot of the early part of this match in terms of getting a lot of offense, and 
I thought like probably more often than I remember him getting. The other thing that I noticed is they spit on each other a lot. They also spit on each yeah. other a lot at the final showdown. But it's just like this match is a germaphobe's nightmare. He also hits a baby face eye poke, which is um, not one that you see often. I don't know. Like one one other thing, and I know I've mentioned this before. It does seem like they maybe could have done more with Shelley as a baby face if they were really willing to go for it with him. Um, for whatever reason, they decided to go the opposite route. Um, this is pretty close to the end of the line for him as far as a baby face because he's he's away for a couple shows. Um, then he comes back. He does a couple of like nondescript matches, and then he's then he's a heel again. So, um, so I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess they were already going to turn him heel by this point, but I don't know. I don't, would you have, I don't know. I mean, now that we've seen pretty much all of Shelly's baby face run, would you have turned him heel or would you have maybe had him become more solid as a baby face and become triumphant at a certain point? I feel like the last this show, even though, like you said, there were some quiet points of this match, but I felt like this on points during this match and on the last like couple shows, Shelly was starting to get like a little bit hotter reactions than I I would expect for his place on the card, like baby face reactions. I feel like people were getting into him as a baby face. Yeah, I I feel like, you know, there was more to get from him as a baby face. And I also feel like you could have still done like the heel story six months down the line. Like if you want – heal Shelly you could have had a thing where he's a face and you know like maybe eventually someone does finally trust him and they have like a baby face run and then he finally turns on them like it felt like he was just starting to get momentum as a baby face and people were start- just starting to finally go okay Alex Shelley is a baby face now and then they do the turn but yeah I mean I guess so, you yeah, know, again, I, the, again the other thing is that at, you know Generation X also turns face right at the same time so that's the other yeah problem with it of course yeah, so it's, unless you're keeping them very far apart, it's kind of hard to have Generation Next be faces and Alex Shelley also be a face unless, again, they just are never involved at all ever with each other from that point on. And as we know, they will be involved with each other quite a bit going forward. So They could have just not turned Generation Next face at that moment. There was no like – I don't. it didn't feel like there was a clamor for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Um couple other notes um gabe says jack evans is currently in japan which is why he isn't here tonight um and matt i don't know if you caught this this is a weird thing um so after uh shelly shell shocks uh strong into the hockey glass and then they start walking back towards the rig shelly says to somebody fucking wipe that off and i don't know what he's referring to or what that could possibly be referring to like i I don't think he almost slipped on something on the floor Huh. That, 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 that's that's, that's how what? I took it. For a guy that spits and blows so much snot rockets, he should talk about slippery <laughs> surfaces. He, uh, actually, that, that was interesting. You, you were right about like there's so much spit in this match, and we know Shelly generally does like a lot of spitting and snot blowing spots. Matt, if you were like a guy like Alex Shelly and you did that, do you think you have to have like a conversation with your opponent every night like where you ask them like, is it okay if I spit on you or blow snot on you? Like how weird would, is that? Like – yeah. Do, do you think he does that, or do you think he just assumes people will take it and go? It's wrestling because that has to. If you if you're giving a conversation, that has to be like a weird conversation, and someone sooner or later has to have said no. Like, I don't want you to spit on me tonight, right? Yeah, but I mean, I guess there's a lot of you know, just like sweat and you know, accidental spit and like bodily fluids like that are exchanged. So maybe it is just sort of like considered just the cost of doing business, and so it's not even 
a question. Maybe. Maybe. I, I would bet nowadays it's probably more of something people would want to make sure they get consent for than maybe in the past. Yeah, I, I guess everything back then was fair game. Like, cause I, especially, I don't, I don't think the nasty boys were asking anyone, like, can we rub our armpits in your face? Or Rikishi was asking anyone, is it okay if I rub my ass in your face? Like, I am sure <laughs> it's just a, like, look, these are over spots. You're going to take them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it. they're, they're, they're very nasty, as you well know. Yeah. <laughs> they're just plain nasty. But, um, so after the match, Ares returns to the ring and he attacks Shelly's back with, with a pipe. Uh, Shelly, strong. I mean, strong. Very briefly puts uh, Shelly in the stronghold, which he didn't do during the match. Uh, the pipe attack continues, and no wrestler comes to Shelly's aid. All refs end up surrounding the ring, but they're too scared to come in. Aries is strong. Eventually, make their way to the back, and the refs attend to Shelly. Uh, one makes one ref makes the dreaded X symbol match, so you know it's real. And then the crowd doesn't take this seriously at all. They're not really reacting loudly. They're not really acting like this is a scary real thing. A stretcher's wheeled to the ring. Uh, we'll see more of this. It gets almost comical, but I would say I felt like this beatdown, I don't know what you feel like, Matt, was not severe enough to warrant like them acting like this was seriously injuring a guy and requiring a stretcher and putting him out for weeks or months. But that's what it was supposed to be. Well, I think maybe the fact that Shelley kept talking to them throughout the whole thing made it seem less intense. But I mean, they did knock him off a stretcher multiple times and continue to kick him in the back and beat it with a pipe. So... I mean, theoretically, you could say that it did seem like it was extremely injurious. Yeah, it gets – but at this point, we hadn't get the two follow-ups we'll get to. We just had this initial attack, and already they were, like, breaking out the stretcher. I suppose uh, Dave so. Meltzer had a – yeah. Um, Dave Meltzer had something to write about this. He wrote, uh, expect Roderick Strong to get a big push from this point forward. They ran an angle where he put Alex Shelley out of action with a series of backbreakers and Shelley did a stretcher job. It was both to get, it was to both get over the backbreaker as a feared move and to explain Shelley being gone. Shelley had planned on spending the summer in Europe working regularly because zero one wanted him in the middle of when he's going. That fell through. Shelley will be off for a few weeks to make sense of uh, of the already done angle. Of course, Sapolsky has to feel like Jim Cornette because after shooting this angle, Shelley will be appearing unhurt on Sunday Night Heat this coming weekend, jobbing for Simon Dean. I, Matt, I always feel like Dave always during this era overestimates like house damaging it would be for an ROH wrestler to like do a job on Sunday Night Heat like no one in, in watching Ring of Honor was like buying this angle as legitimate and was like going wait he's on Sunday Night Heat well clearly now I don't believe that this injury is serious like I, I think Ring of Honor fans very clearly separated Ring of Honor from other promotions and what wrestlers did in them Ring of Honor fans in particular who all very well know that wrestling is very fake <laughs> Exactly. And the idea that, oh, like, this is just ruining Gabe's angle. You know, he's got to be furious about this. Is like, no. Yes, and I apologize. Wrestling is very predetermined um, character based, not fake. Sorry about that. The Do matches I- are pre, the outcomes are predetermined, but the injuries are real, Matt. Very, PSAs have informed me of that. Don't try this at home. Um, <laughs> exactly. My, my, uh, my, my C3 vertebrae fragmented into my spinal column. <laughs> Speaking of that guy, that heartwarming guy we were talking about earlier, uh, cut to clips from the trios tournament as a gay voiceover tells us that it's intermission and there's, and he has an update on Jay Lethal. He says Jay's recovering well, but has not received medical clearance yet, but he will be at Ring of Honor's New York show next week and he vows revenge. 
he definitely will achieve some revenge on that show. And we know that even before this DVD came out, one Keith Lipinski knew that Jay Lethal was going to be at the New York Ring of Honor event. Much like the internet, he had all the scoops, brother. And uh, we cut, so we cut back to the ring at this point as refs and Ring of Honor students put Alex Shelley on a stretcher. Aries comes down and he throws Shelley off the stretcher. He flips it on the floor. He and Strong toss Alex into the barricade. Shelley screams, don't fucking touch me, you careless prick. Which uh, I don't know if he was trying to make it seem like a shooter sign because it seems like, like careless Seemed like kind of a weird phrasing there. Like, right? Yeah, they they took to care. They you. took care to injure injure him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, and he's just like he's swearing at him a lot. Like he's like he's not like he's like he's try, to me. It was kind of like he was trying to sell it as real because he was like just sitting there swearing at him and staring at him and ang- and being really angry. Just being like you fucking asshole. Like, and um, we cut to the embassy backstage. Uh, Prince Nana congratulates Jimmy Raven and Fast Eddie on their win tonight. He wants them to go for the tag team titles. Nana says he's going to take them to New York tonight, and they're going to party like it's 1979. Uh, I don't know how exactly that's – how you party 1979 style, but um, Rave is worried about AJ Styles. Uh, Jade Chong at this point tries to talk, but Nana screams at her. Rave then says, I don't think I should have to wrestle AJ Styles ever again. I beat him already last time we wrestled. Nana says, to focus right now just on the tag titles. Don't focus on AJ. Uh, Nana roughly grabs Jade Chung's arm, and he's and she's selling pain in a way that's pretty uncomfortable. He tells her to get her ass to the hotel and get the bath, make sure the bath water is ready, that the soap is in there, and that she's in there. And then he just shoves her aside super roughly. And uh, at that point, the men walk away. We hear Fast Eddie off-camera tell Nana to get Jade to use the lavender soap because it's good for his skin. And for some reason, that made me laugh at the idea that, like, Fast Eddie's very aware of what's good for his skin. Like, I'll tell I, you what, I hope that's real. I'll tell you what made me laugh. The fact that they're planning on going to New York City, which is hours away from Buffalo. Even if they took a private jet, it's still, like, they still have to get there, drive from the airport into the city. Like, um, But, like, for by, by car, you're talking about, like, six hours. Um then, on top of that, they have time to take a bath first. And, like, are they all going to take baths? Like, is just Nana going to take a bath? Are they going to take a bath together? And then they're, and then they're going to head to New York City. Like, by the time they get there, it's going to be, like, 3 in the morning. And that's if they fly, probably. Um, like, what, what are they planning on doing in New York City tonight? I love like the the, the, the Nana's go to is always like because now he, he's basically doing to uh, Jay Chang what he was doing to the Outcast Killers like with the make me a bath. I love that Nana has one go to thing for like degrading and it's get me a bath. Like that's the most degrading thing he can think of. At least that you can do to someone like in a hotel. Like Wait, it's not like, like, like run my bath water. He's basically just saying like go hang out at the hotel and let the water fill up the bathtub. And, and he's always like, you know, get the soap, get the bubbles in there. Like he's, <laughs> he, he's very concerned with the bubbles and making sure that he doesn't have to wait a second to get into the bath once he opens that door. And well, also when he was talking about the wonders of Ghana, he would also talk about like the finest soaps and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he just he loves bathing. Nana, you you always see him at Lush at the mall. You know, you're at the food court. He's always just looking at those bath moms. He's he, he's hugely into it, Matt. But uh, he yeah, cut- I mean, he's he's a very clean man. 
<laughs> we we cut to Alex Shelley backstage on the stretcher still. This time he's lying on his stomach because I guess his back is hurt. Aries is strong, attack him yet again and beat him down. At this point, this was the last time we got a beat down. I kind of at this point just wanted to see this happen like five more times. Like go all the way and make this just ridiculous. Where like after every ten minutes we just go backstage <laughs> and they are attacking Shelley, and somehow Shelley is still not yet at the ambulance. Like he's only like five more feet away every time. Yeah, I was gonna say if they could actually like get an ambulance like W. WF could with Austin and Bret Hart. They could have done that. They could have done shot vignettes in the hospital. I mean, if this was like Monday Night Raw, they probably would have done all that stuff. Um, but but now now I'm also thinking that the embassy's um, entrance music should have been um, Splish Splash by Bobby Darren. <laughs> <laughs> At least just like one time, you know. You're full of musical references tonight. Della Soul, Splish Splash. I think one more I was forgetting here. <laughs> There's a great bonus podcast out of this where you just listen to the songs Matt recommends. Yeah, um, I, well, listen, I um, I like making up unfunny parody songs. It's what I do. <laughs> that that is a thing that I do. <laughs> that's a thing a lot of typically Matt. That's a thing that most people that make parody songs do without intending it. No, they my, make but, unfunny but, 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 but but deep down, I actually do think mine are funny. <laughs> <laughs> and something that is as good as a Matt Feuerstein parody song, the three-way elimination match, Davey Andrews defeated Shane Hagedorn and the New York City Mass Superstar in 459. I believe the New York Mass Superstar was uh, yeah, Loke pulling double duty. What is the uh, deal Shane with this Hagedorn- Mass Superstar thing that they've been doing all the time? I don't get it. Yeah, isn't it weird? Like this one too. Like the last two times he was doing, like he was representing cities that the that the market he was in should um like dislike. Like if he was in like Chicago, he'd be the Wisconsin superstar and stuff like that. This time he's um the mass New York superstar and he's in Buffalo. Like Matt, you live in New York State. Does does Buffalo hate New York City? <laughs> like, uh, I, I not that I'm aware of, but I guess it would make some sense. There'd be like a sports rivalry. I I've never really heard. I mean, I, there is a thing about upstate sort of resenting New York City, like in terms of getting so much attention and resources from the state and and stuff like that. But you know, I don't know of a particular Buffalo New York City feud. Um, but I don't know. I'm sure people who are into sports probably are more aware than I am. <laughs> So for this match, uh, the two eliminations, Shane Hagedorn eliminated the New York City Mass Superstar via pinfall in a minute 15, and then Davey Andrews eliminated Shane Hagedorn via submission with a face lock in 4.59. Um, it's a five-minute student match. What, what, how much is there to say about it, and what do you want to say about it? I actually do think there's a decent amount to say about this match compared to the usual student matches. You know, the, the Mass Superstar was – was pretty much was pretty much gone quickly. It was there was some funny stuff where Dave called him one of the top prospects in wrestling today while he was preening <laughs> around like an idiot and and gave like was kind of laughing like I don't think that's true, Dave. Um, like he does some swan kicks and the crowd really boos Davy Andrews when he takes him down and they they pin him pretty quickly. Um, actually, they do this double team like dropkick German suplex and Hagedorn steals Andrews' pins and gloats to the crowd. So maybe this is Hagedorn officially becoming a heel. I don't know. Um, but when they go when it goes into a Hagedorn versus Andrews one-on-one match, my first reaction is like, holy shit, this is an elimination three-way? Because like, that's rare on its own, you know? Um, and why did Gabe do this? Because he doesn't like elimination matches. And why did like the mass superstar, H.C. Loke, he's in for one minute, like in a five minute match. Like why 
why I don't know why it was an elimination match and why this couldn't have just been five minutes of Davy Andrews like and Shea Hagner like was one Gabe that scared of having them alone in each in the ring for five minutes and two like why was it an elimination match like yeah. was it just so Shea Hagedorn could get a pin along with Davy Andrews like I I don't I don't I, understand it I don't know but it might have actually helped them like get the crowd into it I don't know um. But um, so what I liked about this match is they actually did something different with it. Like Andrews worked Shane Hagedorn's ear and like it's that's not something you see very often. Like what other match can you think of? Like the one I could think of off the top of my head is Roddy Piper against Greg Valentine from Starcade in 83. Right. How many other matches can you think of where somebody works the ear? And like, I mean, I'm not saying it was like an amazing match or anything, but like, hey, you know what? Way to go, trying to do something different here. And you could tell that the ear was being worked because Hagedorn multiple times grabbed his ear and said, ah, my ear, like a few, <laughs> a few different times. Um, um, we love you, Shane. Uh, and um, no, but I actually, like, I actually enjoyed it. And at one point, Andrews actually pulled Shane's ear like a mildly abusive parent and, like, they just, like, dragged him <laughs> around by it. Um, he, um, uh, you know, Hagnar got some offense, hit a belly-to-back suplex on it, but but Andrews, once he lands, immediately grabs a headlock targeting the ear, um, even holds on to the headlock after Shane uh, fights hard to reverse it. Um, Hagnar misses some move off the top rope. Andrews gets a cross-face style headlock on Shane, you know, over the ear. Shane taps out. I don't know, it was a rookie match, but like, they t- they tried to tell a story. It was slightly different. I don't know. I think, I actually think this is probably... Uh, better than a lot of these uh, short little showcase matches for the rookies. I I, uh, I thought this match was perfectly fine. Yeah, I, um, I I felt bad for uh, Andrews and Hagedorn because I feel like the masked New York superstar, he was being really goofy with his mannerisms and doing like like you said the the karate kid crane kick, and it was like um, I, the crowd was really starting to like get into the goofiness of him and then they have him eliminated and i feel like at that point the fans kind of turned on davy andrews and and you know maybe they wouldn't have been allowed for the match at all ever because it was a student match but like i felt like the match it definitely took a hit with the crowd once the mass superstar was gone and maybe it would have been better just to not like in get them laughing at the wackiness to begin with and then take it away with them after one minute but I thought the student match was, yeah, it was perfectly acceptable. I think most of these Ring of Honor student matches so far, um, you can tell they're students and they're not getting hard much of a chance to wrestle in terms of like match lengths. But like this match and most of the student matches, there are, there aren't really botches. Like they do, their, their mechanics are perfectly solid. Like there's a couple like moves like drop kicks and stuff where maybe they don't hit quite as cleanly or sharply as like a pro would. But like for student matches, for guys that have barely any ring experience, like it, it's kind of impressive that they're not really botching anything. They're doing things that, you know, they're not doing the absolute, they're doing some fairly major moves like the German and stuff. Like they're not doing complete simplistic moves and they're not screwing anything up. Um, and yeah, the 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 working over the ear was interesting too, because like you said, you hardly ever see that in wrestling. And you know, Hagedorn really screamed to sell. I thought it was interesting too that I feel like in a lot of wrestling, 
when guys, especially when they're young, they only get four or five minutes. They go out there and they just try and cram every move they can and try and steal the show. And these guys, it was interesting. They worked like more methodical at points and tried to actually tell a story in like the four minutes they had with each other, which probably wasn't to their benefit in terms of capturing the crowd. But, you know, in a way, it was kind of admirable that they actually were like, we're going to try and actually tell a little bit of a story, even if it's a very minor story, and we're not going to just try and do 18 moves a minute and probably botch them because we're we're going to try and do like a more measured pace to this. And at one point on commentary, Gabe says, these guys have only had 20 or 25 matches. Can you imagine how good they'll be in a couple of years when they've had a couple hundred matches under their belts? And I don't know where Gabe, Matt, where Gabe was expecting these guys to get those matches because in Ring of Honor, they were getting almost none. So, yeah. and, and I mean, Davey Andrews, I don't think he's even wrestling in a couple of years. So like, yeah, he's not. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, that that yeah. that was a little weird. And now we have officially talked about this match, probably significantly longer than it lasted. Uh, exactly. So up next is a match, Matt. I was hoping would be historical. It's not quite historical. It's almost historical. Chad Collier and Nigel McGuinness defeated the Second City Saints of CM Punk and Colt Cabana in 17 minutes 37 seconds when Nigel pinned Colt while holding onto the ropes. He basically sat down during a, like a pinning predicament and held onto the ropes. I thought. This is. I thought to myself, looking at the results, I thought, is this the last time CM Punk and Colt Cabana ever teamed together? Because then we could say, oh, we just covered a little piece of history. And the answer is, Matt, is almost. Because looking at Cage Match, uh, Colt Cabana and CM Punk did team together two more times. Once in a dark match in OVW in 2007 in an eight-man tag. They were on the same team. And then they had one final tag match together on February 27, 2008, also an OVW dark match. CM Punk and Colt Cabana defeated Domino of Deuce and Domino fame and Seth Skyfire in Davis Arena in Louisville, Kentucky. So this is the first match, I think, that made the last match of theirs that ever made tape. But technically, it's their second tag team, last tag team match as a a two-man tag team ever. But, uh, did they go out with a bang, Matt, or did they go out with um, um, a meh? A whimper is the word you're looking for, yes? Yeah. Um, I didn't want to go that strong, but yeah, it, this maybe. No, I didn't, li- I didn't like this match. Um, I mean, maybe it was the crowd not reacting to almost anything. Um, you know, maybe it was just the match didn't totally know what it wanted to be. There were, you know, a few amusing things, but overall I thought it was – it felt super long. I looked up the time and I realized this was under 20 minutes and I could not believe it. Like to me this match felt like it was a half hour long. I don't know if you uh, had a similar opinion. You know, this it's just – it was very slow. There was no heat. There was even an audible boring chant from a couple people which you – Really rarely here at our in ROH during this era. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff where like, you know, they're doing wrestling moves with with Punk against the uh, against Nigel and Chad, um, and Cabana will like try to come in and just start brawling with Nigel, and the crowd never reacts at all to it. Um, there is like I think like maybe one guy in the crowd at one point who chants "Let them fight," <laughs> but it's like <laughs> literally one guy, and uh, yeah, I, the crowd is just not. Um, 
I don't know. But like, and I wasn't really loving it either. Like, I, I you know, like there, there was some stuff I enjoyed, like when, um, when Collier whipped Cabana into the ropes and Nigel cut his knee up to like, you know, to like, and to uh, knee Cabana as he hit the ropes and Cabana just yells, I see that, Nigel, and then knocks him off the apron. <laughs> um, there's also a spot where, where McGinnis is doing the, you know, the artful Dodger thing on Punk and Colt from the apron is like advising Punk about what's going to happen next and telling him not to fall for it. But Punk falls for it anyway. I like that. Um, that was so good. There's a point where, like, he's yelling instructions during the sequence, and he, and he, he, he I wrote this down. He goes, he's going to go through your legs. He's holding up his hands. Don't connect them. <laughs> I just <laughs> don't connect them. <laughs> like, don't hold his hands. And he punked us. And I just, I love, like, how scared Cole is. Definitely the highlight of the match. Like, yeah, I, I absolutely. Would say, I would say, yeah, by far. If you want to just watch one spot of that match. <laughs> that's the spot you know if you do the thing where you look watch matches and watch one spot um <laughs> that's the one for this match um there was another but there is another good spot where where collier and punk like look at the brawling nigel because they've been like breaking them up for most of the match and then at one point they just stand there they look at them and they just go ah heck let them fight and punk walks away and collier takes that opportunity to attack him from behind almost like punk is kind of dumb in this match which is another thing that he doesn't usually let himself be portrayed as so i guess he's not triple h after all um there's also like a few Steiners things going on. Like Cabana hits a standing Rana, almost like a Frankensteiner. Punk hits a tilt-a-whirl. Um, it's like they're trying to be the Steiners. Um, but this is another situation where like when Cabana gets the hot tag to Punk and Punk's a house of fire, the crowd is not reacting like it's a hot tag. And then Nigel and Collier slow things down again. Um, you know, there's... Um, Nigel keeps trying to run away from Colt. Um, at one point, Cabana saves Punk from a suplex. Punk hits a neckbreaker at while Cabana hits a top rope splash on Nigel at the same time for two. Um, and then Cabana yells, Pepsi plunge, which guarantees that Punk will not hit the pe- Pepsi plunge because <laughs> that is just a rule. Um, and, of course, he doesn't call your docs him off the top rope. Cabana goes for a sunset flip. Nigel drops down, grabs the ropes, and gets the win. Gabe is again shocked that Nigel grabbed the ropes. Like, wow, this Nigel, he really is a cheater, huh? Um, but I don't know. It just it just didn't work. Like, you know, other than those couple entertaining spots we mentioned, keep in mind there was like another like 18 minutes of stuff that just was just, I don't know, just dull. Uh, I, I, I mean, they, I don't know, they tried, doesn't always work. I, I, I don't know. It just, just did, just was boring to me more than anything. I like the match more than you. I, I thought it was somewhat enjoyable, but I do agree that it was disappointing from these four, and there were parts that were very boring. I do think that um, Colt's character work I really liked. I always love when wrestlers, especially in like tag matches, where they they always are being their character even when they're on their eight on the apron. And here, like Colt. You know, whether he's coaching Punk for the Artful Dodger or he's trash talking Nigel or just chomping at the bit to get at him or that spot like you mentioned where at one point uh, Nigel or someone gets whipped into the ropes and Colt catches him on the ropes with a knee on the apron. And then when Nigel tries to do it, Colt has it scouted like I, I, all that stuff is really cool, like little character work. 
even the even the fact that they keep getting to these pull apart brawls, I thought that's a cool way to kind of just further their feud. But I thought the brawls generally didn't look very good. Like they just looked like two kids rolling around throwing bad punches at each other. Um, and yeah, there just were boring moments in this match that didn't connect. When you see these four guys, it just felt like they never got into a good flow with this match. And I feel I don't know why, but it just felt like that. There were some moments I thought, in addition to yours, that I thought were kind of okay, interesting, or at least notable. Um, I like Collier before the match saying, shake my hand, hippie, to see a punk and punk being like, like trying to stifle a laugh at me, like, what the, like, Gabe what was the appalled. fuck is Gabe Jack was Collier? appalled that he called punk a hippie. <laughs> um, there was a, um, moment where, um, this is not cool, but Nigel tells Colt that he wrestles like a woman, which I thought like today that would just be like, Oh, you mean I'm going to main event WrestleMania and have the best <laughs> match on the weekend? Like, Oh, that's nice of you to say, but, um, I guess back then that was supposed to be a, a just a, a huge put down. You throw um, like a girl. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Colt Dutch, uh, at one point ducked Nigel's rebound lariat and, uh, the, that, um, and hit Collier, which allowed him to make the hot tag, which I, I like that he actually ducked it, an early counter to it. Uh, Nigel does a rebound lariat, but with a form instead of a lariat to punk, which another, he's, you know, he was doing all sorts of little variations at first with the rebound. And then I really liked, um, Chad Collier late in the match has a Texas clover leaf on a uh, Colt Cabana and Punk does the shining wizard from the Texas to- clover leaf to Collier. And I thought that was really cool because like one, you know, the shining wizard is a really cool spot, but one of my main gripes with it is it was so overused in this era. And so often if wrestlers had to get into this weird, unnatural position to feed for the shining wizard where like, they would get on one knee and then spend like an extra five seconds there until the other guy hit the shining wizard, which you would normally never see in a match. A guy stay in that position for that long. But with the, with the, um, the Texas Cloverleaf, it was like such a natural way. I didn't see it coming. Even when Punk was running at, at, at Collier, I was like, Oh, he's going to like just hit him with a forearm or something. And then when I saw the shining wizard, it was like one of the rare shining wizards where I was like, I did not see that coming. So I thought that was cool. The other, the other and, fun thing about the shining wizard is it has a really funny name. Yeah, exactly. Not as good as when, um, oh, what's his name? Eric Cannon, he, where he did, he came out during this era, a shining wizard, but it ends with an Enziguri, and he called it the glimmering warlock. Yes. Which is just perfectly ridiculous. Yes, perfect. Um, so, but, and then going, last thing I want to say is going to what you said, um, when Game at the End says, I can't believe Nigel grabbed the ropes, it was just like one of those things where literally the previous show had a Nigel versus Colt match where Nigel clearly purposely kicks Colt Cabana in the nuts and then immediately pins him for the win. Like, at that point, you have to stop being surprised that a guy will cheat to win when a guy punts a guy in the balls to win the match. Like, you can't be like, oh my god, I'm getting the vapors here. Nigel grabbed the ropes. Like, no, he's a heel now. He he clearly turned a heel on the last show. But oh, and one other note, Matt. I thought this was interesting. We did all the news at the start about Punk um, being close, getting close to signing with WWE. This was the first time on a Ring of Honor release where it's acknowledged that Punk's probably going. Because at one point on commentary, out of nowhere, Punk just brings up. He says Punk has been the subject of a lot of rumors as he's the hottest commodity in wrestling right now. And he says TNA, WWE, and all Japan all have interest in him. And then Gabe continues. He says Punk says his independent career will not be complete without the Ring of Honor title. So clearly, by the time that uh, Gabe was doing commentary for this DVD, he knew Punk 
Punk was going. I thought it was interesting because nowhere in the um, the newsletters I'm reading does it bring up that all Japan has interest in him. But uh, Gabe throws that in there. So I thought that was interesting. Um, that brings us to the semi-main event, the Ring of Honor pure title match. Samoa Joe defeated James Gibson via submission in 23 minutes, 54 seconds, when Gibson tapped to the rear naked choke. I thought this was a good match, but it was a little disappointing to me. I would say this is like a three-and-a-half-star match. I thought these guys had the potential to just blow me away. Now, I'll start off by saying um, I feel kind of bad criticizing this match because this was Joe's first match, at least in Ring of Honor, coming back from what I understand was like a legit rib injury. So it feels I always feel kind of shitty when I criticize a match for being like in this case slightly disappointing when a guy might have been working hurt but I felt like this match there was cool stuff in it the work the execution was good as you'd expect from these two but it just didn't feel as epic as I would want it to be especially for the length and I felt like this match Joe is a guy who a lot of times he lets moves breathe like he'll do hit a big move and he'll like kind of let it sit there for a little while before he does another one and some people don't like that I like that most of the time I think like letting moves breathe like calls more attention to them and makes them feel more epic and it has more of an impact and I, I like that style I felt like this was a rare Joe match for me where there was a lot of moments in this match where I felt like Joe I don't know if he was blown up or, or, or still just struggling with a sore ribs or something. But there were a lot of moments in this match where like Joe would hit something and he would just kind of kneel down or wait around for a while to the point where Gabe even called attention to it on commentary. Like he felt like he had to explain it. He gave at one point says something like, um, uh, I, I forget. He says something like, um, I forget. He was just talking about the ribs or something. He was saying like, oh, you know, Joe's coming back from the rib injury still. And that's why he's taking so long. Cause, but even he felt like he had to take it call attention to it um in terms of a story this match had the most basic average story that um almost so many pure title matches have which is both guys use up some rope breaks eventually one guy in this case james gibson uses up all the, his rope breaks after he does that the other guy gets him in a submission the guy gets the ropes it doesn't matter he ends up having to tap out i felt like the one problem with that is one it's kind of a standard story but it's not the worst story but also the camera did, had they chose to focus on such an extreme close-up you did not see that he got the ropes and the commentators don't even really mention that he got to the ropes and then finally when he taps out they cut to the hard cam and you see oh he got to the ropes you can kind of assume from the crawling but you don't really see till the end that he actually grabbed the ropes and then tapped out because he was like oh shit this i'm not gonna be able to get out of this um there were you know cool moments in the match the, the, i think the big highlight of this match obviously is the uh belly to back superplex that gibson does to joe which is just you rarely see joe come off the top and take a move like a belly to back superplex like i thought that was really cool uh, and I thought the other cool thing was this was like a legit split crowd. Like you could tell different voices during the dueling chants. And there was people that definitely wanted Gibson to beat Joe and people that definitely wanted Joe to win. There was like a fuck em up Gibson fuck em up chant after that superplex. Um, there's even someone that's heckling Joe in the crowd. Is at one point um, Joe uh, is like – hear someone in the crowd and like during like in the middle of wrestling he like turns and tells the screams at someone in the crowd like get the fuck out and like so whatever this fan was saying i couldn't make up what they were saying it, it pissed joe off don't but, piss off samoa joe exactly overall i thought this was a, a, a you know i was probably 
to give away what I feel about the the main event, this is probably my third ma- favorite match on the show. And again, like three and a half stars. But with James Gibson and Samoa Joe, I think those are two of the best guys in the entire promotion. I felt like they could have had like a match of the year contender. And to me, this wasn't that. Yeah, for some reason, I um, I had a hunch you wouldn't be Gaga for this match. But I really liked it a lot. I loved it, actually. Like, I thought it was um, easily four stars, maybe even higher. Um, and at the end, uh, Gabe calls it the um, the best pure title match. And, you know, that's a lot of times that stuff is hype. I think that's true. Like, to me, this was the best I pure actually title might match. like Jay Lethal Joe better, but it would be up there. Yeah, I mean, based on your rating, that would make sense. For me, this was, this was the better one. Um, and it was, um, and I think better than some of the world title matches on recent shows. Um, you know, I mean, one thing that I liked was just that they, you know, they got, they, they had, they really did feel like they were working a main event match. And, you know, that, you know, given that this crowd was pretty quiet for a lot of the show, um, you know, the fact that they were able to keep their interest for a 20 something minute match, cause this was the longest match on the show. Um, I thought was very helpful. There were slow parts, definitely in the middle of the match. Um, you know, as he's working Gibson's back and, and Gibson's trying to fight out. But, you know, I, I I didn't mind it. Like, the one thing that I could maybe say as a criticism was, you know, there's a lot of different, like, targets to some of the, the holds and stuff. And there wasn't this one solid storyline about, like, you're just, we're going to, I'm going to work this, um, the, you know, this body part and then I'm going to win based on that. But that's okay. You know, they were working the pure title rules like you were talking about. But what I just really enjoyed was how it built to this this struggle near the end, you know, with you know, Gibson just looks so determined. His facial expressions are so good and dramatic and he really seemed like he was just going for it here and you know, he was charging at Joe and Joe would cut him off and he seemed seemed dejective dejected and he'd fight out of holds and fight back into holds. Um I really liked his belly-to-back uh, suplex off the top. It wasn't quite as beautiful as Danielson's, but it was, like, faster. It had more pop. You know, Danielson has that thing where he, like, really holds them and, and drops them gracefully. And this was just more like, boom, boom, down, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, and he gets a two-count with that. Um, I also like that the, you know, the camera really did a lot, good job of showing Gibson's determined face a bunch of times, um, I, you know, like there, there was some, there was like a spot where he, he went for the swinging DDT, but instead of actually driving him down, he just turned it into the front choke and Joe got out of the choke a couple of times. Um, uh, he, he went for the Gibson to hit the, like you said, the, the trailer hitch, the striker lock for the first time in ROH. Like that was a big move, you know, makes, made sense that he was busting out new holds given that, you know, it was a pure title match. So that's what you do and got Joe to use a rope break from that, um, you know, I like that they were selling how tired they are. Um, you know, Gibson, you know, he, he went for the plancha on Joe and Joe caught him and just threw him into the guardrail. I actually thought Joe was going to go for the ole ole kick, but he never does. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, but so they're just exhausted and they get back in the ring. Um, you know, um, when, when Joe goes for the muscle buster and Gibson turns that into the choke, the crowd just goes insane. They love that, and Joe powers out. Gibson goes for the roll up, and that's when Joe turns the uh, O'Connor roll into the choke and gets the win. But I don't know. I just, I just really liked the drama of the last few minutes. I thought the opening just felt epic. The slow part in the middle wasn't too slow for me. So yeah, this, you're right that I don't think this was a match of the year. Um, but 
I do think this was a hell of a really darn good match. A whole uh, a rootin' tootin', zippity doo da dangle, <laughs> diddly ding dong, dinger of a match. <laughs> One other thing I noticed about the match: Did you notice that um, Gibson threw a lot of headbutts to Joe? And a lot of times when someone tries to headbutt Joe, Joe does like the no sell, like the hard headed Samoan you can't headbutt Samoan thing. And here he didn't really sell the headbutts, but he didn't no sell them. And I part of me wonders: Is that like out of respect to James Gibson? Like, okay, you can headbutt me. And, you know, I'm not going to no-sell it, you know, because you're James Gibson. Because he was throwing a lot of headbutts to someone Joe at certain points. Yeah, I mean, and hey, why not? And Gibson is worthy yeah. of that respect. The one thing I will say, Gibson came out, because we, we criticize his Confederate flag trunks. He really went for it here. He was draped in a Confederate flag on the way out and got big cheers for it, despite being in Buffalo, Near the Canadian border with a Confederate flag. <laughs> you know, wrestling uh, you is, know. wrestling's fucked up. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe they just really like John Deere. I don't know. Um, so we, I don't even remember if he was wearing his John Deere trunks on he, the show. He, but, he, uh, he was. But, man, that, could, that was a big-ass Confederate flag. Just He was just draped in it. <laughs> And it tells you, I mean, those fans love James Gibson, even in a new market like Buffalo, like he gets another one of those big post-match stays in the ring, gets applause after a losing effort, standing ovation kind of things, like very loved in pretty much every market Ring of Honor. And that brings us to the main event, the Ring of Honor world title match. Austin Aries successfully defends the title. He defeats Spanky in 18 minutes, 31 seconds with the 450 via pinball via pinfall after he hits the 450 splash. So first thing I should mention before I hand it to you, Matt, is I didn't know this till after I did my research, but Spanky was actually coming into this match injured. Uh, the Observer wrote, Spanky suffered a groin injury on his recent Japan tour and missed his indie shows this past weekend, but will return on the debut show in Buffalo for Ring of Honor against Austin Aries. So uh, apparently, you know, Spanky had been recently injured enough to miss some wrestling shows, but he worked here and credit to him. Like I didn't really notice anything that would give you me the impression that he was hurt watching this match. But what did you think about the match? I, I, it sounds like I didn't like it as much as you, but I did like it a lot. I, I didn't think, I thought it would the second best match on the show. Um, you know, by, uh, by a pretty solid margin. Uh, you know, I didn't like it as much as the, as the Joe match. I did like it more than the Shelly match. Um, I um I thought the neck focus, right, both guys working on each other's neck, right? So Aries obviously teased the injured neck early and um you know, in, in that promo and then he attacked Spanky's neck. And so it was like neck versus neck. And I thought that gave the match a lot of focus. Um uh, <laughs> it's a couple funny things. So remember I mentioned that when Punk did his tribute to Chris Candido, he did the triple threat sign. And that looked yeah. a lot like the white power sign. That um, so oh god. So Spanky, when he gets in the ring, he just looks right at the hard camera and just like does the OK sign, which I don't remember being a thing that he did. But you know, obviously, there's nothing to it. Like this wasn't. That's not what that meant in 2005. It just meant OK. But man, it just seems weird watching him do it so like blatantly now. You know, I'm not accusing Spanky of anything. Again, this that symbol meant nothing like that in 2005 but still pretty weird also you know something completely unrelated to this but just something i was thinking about um wwe you know when they hire guys you know sometimes they'll change wrestlers names and it 
won't be for the better. I do think they were right about Spanky turning and making him Brian Kendrick. When you think about it, Spanky's not a great name for a main event wrestler. No. Um, but, Especially if you yeah. if you like look into sorry to interrupt. I just want to say if you look into why apparently that was a nickname gave, given to him on like a wrestling tour because he masturbated so much. <laughs> like if anyone like looks into like like if he was WWE superstar Spanky and then anyone did like the research, like do you really want a wrestler whose identity is jerks off? <laughs> I mean, and plus, is every podcast now going to be hosted by Spanky and Spanky? <laughs> 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 um but any anywho um so um but yeah as far as far as the match um oh, the another thing Aries is like wearing that facial hair that he's kind of becomes known for I think that's like the first time I've really noticed him with prominent facial hair in ROH so that like you know with the mustache almost coming in so that's much closer to the Aries that we're well, you know we're used to today um but you know he has that um he has that rumored neck injury, so Spanky's going after it with that slice bread number two. He tries to go for it early. Um, Aries blocks it, um, so Spanky hits a, be- a belly to back suplex, like right on his head, and then does a bunch of does a bunch of strikes to the neck. There are some awkward spots here. Like there's one point where Spanky reverses a whip and whips Aries front first into the ropes and hits him in the back of the neck. And Gabe actually responds to this by saying Aries seems off his game. So I think he noticed what I did, too. Like, I don't think that spot went exactly the way it was supposed to. And there are a couple other spots like that, too, where there's just a little miniature miscommunication so things don't hit quite as flushly as in matches with these guys usually, um, you know, as as spots with these guys usually uh, do. Um, But, you know, they're they're fighting on the floor, and Aries does a, a neck breaker on Spanky by you know dropping him down over the guardrail, which seems really really painful. Um, like I would I would be afraid to take that spot if I were a wrestler, but I'd also be afraid to take all the spots. So um, it's probably part of why I'm not a wrestler. <laughs> um, so so and then Aries follows that up by pile driving Spanky through a wooden chair at ringside. So they really like are going for it with like pretty big spots, you know, pretty early in the match. And then Aries follows that up by yelling, I got a splinter in my ass, um, <laughs> which is a great thing to hear during a wrestling match. So I, I'd say the early part of this match, thumbs up. Um, so, you know, uh, Aries, you know, does a neck breaker with Spanky's feet draped over the ropes. Um, but after each move he does, he's holding his own neck. So it's, it's, a, it's a neck off. Um, you know, the only thing I'd want more is if these two guys started necking. You know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. Um, um but um, another thing that Aries does, he so one of his famous ROH spots is doing that slow motion reversal, want to see it again thing. He doesn't quite do that here, but he sort of does the, the genesis of the spot. He doesn't do the slow motion, but he does do the reverse where he's like, want to see it again? And then goes for, yeah. I think it was like an elbow drop, right? Or a knee drop. It was a knee drop. Knee drop. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, want to see it again? So I think that's the first time I can ever remember him doing that in ROH. Um, um, am I right about that? Yeah, uh, I, I felt like this was the first time, like, he, this is the first time I think I've seen Aries, like, really interact with the crowd a bit more. Like, he would talk, like, you know, hey, like, your champ is here. He shouted to the crowd sign like that once, and then they'll want to see it again. Like, he's, he's definitely getting a little looser and more comfortable, I think, at, on this show. And I think that's, like, the, uh, the first probably, uh, going for the second he draw although it doesn't work this time 
Hello? Oh, sorry, I was muted. Oops. Um, no problem. <laughs> um, so um, Spanky at one point hits a big elbow on the back of Aries' neck, and he goes for the cover, and Aries goes for a quick roll-up for two, and Gabe goes, that's how Loke defeated Cheech earlier tonight. And I just <laughs> did not expect that match to be referenced during the main event. It was it was a big surprise. I wonder if either of those guys know to this day that their match was referenced during the main event. But it was, just letting you know. Um so um, there was a good spot where Ares reversed another sliced bread attempt into a tombstone. You know, I like I like the creative ways that you know people can re- avoid that move. The sliced bread, the contra code, the whatever version of that you uh, you do. Um, Spanky avoids the 450. Ares lands on his feet, and Spanky hits a super kick, followed by a kick to the back, followed by a bridging German suplex for two. They straight they trade strikes in the middle of the ring. Ares winds up and then just pokes him in the eye, which you know always like that one. Um, Spanky goes for a slice bread again, but Ares drops him on the top rope, and then Spanky fights back and hits a slice rope, a, sli- a slice rope, a slice bread number two from the top rope. But Ares almost falls out of the ring. Spanky drags him back in, um, but Ares gets his hand on the ropes for a really great near fall. And during this spot, somehow Ares busts his chin open, a la survival of the fittest. Um, and Ares comes back with a hard brain, hard kicks, uh, a brain buster, 450 from a really wild angle. Like it was just like far away and slanted, and he still hits it really well and gets the win. The one thing I would criticize about the finish is for, a, you know, Spanky hitting the top row, rope slice bread number two, Ares he kind of gets over it very quickly, right? Yeah. But I guess Gabe explains it by saying seeing his own blood woke him up and gave him adrenaline, which, all right, in the world of wrestling, I guess that's not the craziest logic. Um, but still, I would have liked to see him maybe sell it for like a minute after that near fall as opposed to just immediately coming back when hitting all of his big moves out of the blue. Um, but other than that, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm glad that Spanky got to have a main event world title match like this sometime in his ROH run because his run during this time was about as long as Gibson's and it's much less remembered. Um, but he had some good matches during it and I think this was one of them. Yeah, um, I like this match more than you, but I don't think I like this match as w- more as much as you probably would think I liked it. I So I think we probably have the same top three matches for this show. I think the difference is you would have um, Gibson, Joe as one, and Strong and Shelly as three, and I would have Gibson, um, Strong. I mean Gibson, Joe as three, and Strong, Shelly as one. But I think we'd both have this as number two. I would give this like three and three quarter stars. I think this is about as good as a match can be without being great. And I was starting to think when I was writing my notes for this match that that's how I've probably given a lot of Aries matches around this era that kind of like review in my notes, even though I do think he's had great matches. I mean, obviously with the first one with Joe, um, with Danielson, you know, the, the cage match with Cabana, even I said, would say is a great match, I think. Um, but I feel like a lot of Aries matches on this period are like, three and three quarter star matches where something is just feeling missing. And I've probably said this about Aries before, but I would always say like, if, if you were doing the wrestling, like simulating game or the old transformer cards where they would like divide a person into different attributes and give them a rank of zero to 10 on all of them, this era, like early to mid 2005, Austin Aries, I feel like would be an eight or nine out of 10 on every attribute, except intangibles. They'd be like a two or a three where I feel like Aries, 
He has the athletic ability. He has a, a, a good look other than the height. He has charisma. The mic work, you know, he's working on it. He's getting better. Um, he's, he, he's very versatile in the ring. He can sell. He can do a bit of comedy. He can um, hit hard. He can do, work the mat well. He can fly. He can do your standard just indie work rate moves. Like, the only thing he's missing, there's a lot of matches like this where I feel like this match has a story. It's got cool moves. They work hard. And he's, it's just, there's something undefinable that a lot of his matches where his effort is always there. There's just something missing that would push it over the top. And whatever he's missing at this point, Samoa Joe has it. CM Punk has it. Brian Danielson has it. And I think Austin Aries later in his career would even get some of that missing little intangible whatever you want to call it but at this point i think he just had the hard work and the and the raw talent but still i thought this was a very good match i really like the story that you know you would expect they had built up that spanky was going to work over um uh, aries neck i love that aries then turned it around it's like fuck it i'll work over your neck too if you're working over my neck um I, like I mentioned when I was earlier, I, I thought you were starting to see Aries interact with the crowd a little bit more, get a little more confident there. Um, there was a great belly to back suplex from Spanky where Aries landed, looked like almost on his neck, just looked brutal. You mentioned the neck breaker on the barricade. Uh, there was also a fantastic Okada level running drop kick to Spanky's head in the corner. And the thing I always love, I mentioned this before with Aries, is when he focuses on a body part, his offense, he'll like precision aim it exactly at that body part. Like every, like if he's working over your arm, he'll hit moves like exactly on the arm. And like where a lot of wrestlers, they'll have a hard time really making good specific contact with a specific body part. Aries is really good with that stuff. Um, and also this is a match I felt like near the end had excellent near falls. I felt Spanky in particular had a couple near, near falls where he's being pinned, where his kickouts are so good at being right at the last second. Um, big flaw in the match. I think you went over it already, Matt, which is, you know, Spanky hits a, a slice spread off the, either the top or the second turnbuckle. And Aries did a great job of rolling to try and get through the ropes and Spanky just grabbing his leg and pulling him back in. And it was a great near fall with Aries grabbing the ropes. But I completely agree with a spot that big. Aries was up within seconds going right to the finish, hitting all his biggest moves. And like you said, how Gabe was like, oh, well, maybe Gabe was saying, oh, that blood of Aries splitting his chin open as, as, you know, give him a burst of adrenaline. I feel like that's another moment you mentioned earlier where Gabe was trying to explain a a spot. I feel like Gabe probably agreed with us that Aries was up too soon because Gabe was, you know, that line was Gabe basically trying to explain why is Aries back on offense so quickly after taking what should be like a super big variation of a finishing move. And that was to me kind of an abrupt turn in um, the momentum of the match. And that's one of the reasons why I'm not giving it like a four star higher rating, but I still thought very good match, very enjoyable. I, I, um, and a good way to end the night. So after the match, they shake hands. So that's containing the kind of weird Aries thing where he's he's a heel, but he's still also kind of doing weird face things. Like he's the kind of guy that will beat someone down with a pipe and injure them legitimately and gouge a guy's eyes during the match. But then he will ask for a handshake afterwards and he won't ask for interference from his buddy during the match. So kind of a weird 
Aries character at this point. I also felt this was another one of those matches where the crowd was pretty quiet during a lot of it, even though I was enjoying And this crowd, I don't know, they were kind of up and down in terms of volume. But They definitely got into a lot of the near falls, though. Yeah, at the end, yeah. Um, so we cut to uh, BJ Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs backstage. BJ says when they won the t- tag titles, people thought it was a fluke, but then he runs down all the teams they've beaten since then. He says they're going to hold the belts for a long time. He slaps Jimmy on the chest and Jimmy sells that it hurt him. Uh, Jimmy starts to husk, but then he says they don't even need that because they'll do anything to keep the belts. Again, you know, I think that kind of speaks, this prong kind of speaks to the confusion again where Jimmy husses, but then he says he doesn't need to huss. And I feel like this is the second or third time they've kind of done the Jimmy's moving away from a huss thing and then he goes back to hussing a couple shows later, but we'll see where this goes from here. But always kind of weird. He eventually does stop hussing, but I don't know, I don't remember yes, when. eventually <laughs> it will happen. Yeah. Um, Cut to Austin Aries and Ronald Strong by the hockey boards in the building after the show. Aries says he knows what we're all thinking. Here's the world champion. He's all busted up and bleeding. Aries says this isn't the first time, though, and he notes that Brian Danielson busted up his chin to the tune of 25 stitches last year. Aries asks, where's Brian Danielson now? I, I sent him packing. Aries then calls out Loki and CM Punk, saying they're going to have to do a lot more than this to take his title. At this point, Aries asks a doctor who's right near him what he thinks – Doc takes a look and he says he thinks Aries will be okay. Uh, Roderick Strong says he wants to make sure Aries will still be pretty, which I thought was funny. Um, Aries says he doesn't care if the Doc has to glue staple or stitch it closed. Just stop the bleeding on his cut. So a little promo there trying to work in the legit injury into the promo. And I imagine that was a real doctor, I would guess. I would love it would turn out just to be someone's dad or somebody, but just looked like a old ringside doctor, I guess. Um, There's at least a decent chance that he was someone's dad. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Both can be true. Yeah. And then that brings us to no, in, um, the, in this riddle, the doctor is the mom. <laughs> Mr. Mom. And that brings us to uh the final segment. Next we uh join Spanky and James Gibson backstage. Gabe asks from behind the camera if they're ready for their promo, but Spanky says he needs to talk to Jamie first, so of course this is definitely not on camera. Uh Spanky tells Gibson that they've worked too long, too hard to come back empty handed to come back home empty-handed. He says he has no one to blame but himself, and he wants to know where they're going to go from here. He's kind of distraught. Uh, Gibson says, nice guys finish last, and while the fans have been great and he's loved their reaction here in Ring of Honor, it's made him soft. Gibson says he knows a guy that kicked ass and took names, and that's Jamie By God Noble, the redneck messiah. He says he knows they can't call him that no more, but they can call him Gibson Noble of or Gomer fucking pile for all he cares. Next show, Jamie Noble is showing up in New York. No more Mr. Nice Guy. He's going to do whatever it takes to win. He tells Spanky that they have to watch each other's backs. They've been to the dance. They should have headlined WrestleMania, but they dropped the ball. He says they've got to get some gold, and these people have manipulated them. He says, I guess referring to the fans. Spanky likes what he's hearing, and so... I guess they never end up cutting their promo. <laughs> you know, Gabe said, you know, hey, you know, Spanky tells Gabe, you know, hey, can we speak in private first? And that's how the show ends. So they never really cut what's supposed to be a promo. But that, I guess that's their new direction. No more <laughs> Mr. Nice Guys. They're going to continue to win the title. And spoiler alert, um, starting at the next show, James Gibson's new name is Gomer fucking Pyle. Um, <laughs> no, but no, but seriously, um, I don't know if this actually happens. I'm going to pay attention to this, but I don't think James Gibson's ROH persona changes much at all after this. Um, Spanky, I mean, he if, doesn't turn heel, I don't think. No, it definitely doesn't turn heel. But and Spanky does, you know, a couple months later. But 
I I don't recall Gibson changing anything about his presentation, so I'm interested to see if I'm misremembering. Because yeah, me, me too. It seems like this promo just was a bunch didn't lead to much of anything. Um, I guess unless you're saying it's planted the seeds for Spanky's heel turn two months from from then. I guess that's possible. I don't know. Um, I I mean I guess you could say Spanky took Gibson's words to heart more than Gibson even did about no more Mr. Nice Guy, maybe, but I feel like that's probably a stretch of me trying to create a connection that wasn't intended. Yeah, well, I guess we'll find out. But uh, that brings us to the end of the show. Um, Matt, there's there's been oftentimes shows you're you're really good at arguing stuff where like I'll go into a show and you'll like by the end of doing the podcast when we come up to this point in the show I'll like the show or like a certain match a bit more than I thought going in just based on your arguments I feel like this sh- show um I like the show a bit more than I thought I think you did and now by the end of the show like having our conversation for the podcast I feel like my feeling of the show now that we've really thought about it is a little less than I uh, than I thought going in. Like I feel like I like the show a little less now. I, I still think it's a decent show. I think there are. I think there's one. Great, we both think there's one great match. We di- we disagree on what it is, and I think we both think there are two pretty darn good matches that we agree what they are. Um, everything else in the show, there's nothing terrible, but there are a bunch of things that are either weird, like, you know, there's the student match, there's the Loka Cheech match, there's, you know, the opening tag, which is fine, but isn't anything special. There's the, the tag with the Second City Saints that just doesn't click. Nothing is painful to watch, but there's a lot of stuff on the show that is either weird or just doesn't quite work, or you kind of don't know why it's there, other than your theory of just to show us that this is a B show. But there are three very good to great matches on the show i would say yeah i guess i could i could say something similar that i maybe feel a little bit less enthusiastic about the show than i did before we started talking about it um but yeah i I mean i do think that i like the last two matches both a lot you know when when a show ends with a really good one-two punch of two very long matches that take up a third of the show it's hard for me to say you know to give the show a thumbs down you know what i mean um yeah and i think like you know even though this isn't the best roh show by a long shot i mean it followed Possibly the best month of shows ever in ROH, May 2005, right? Like, yeah. you could definitely make a case for it, right? Um, so it had a tough act to follow. But if this is their version of a B show in 2005, that's not so bad, you know? Like, it's it's still still a lot of good stuff on it, considering. I, I think this show, show is one, another one of the shows where you see the depth of Ring of Honor, where you think of Danielson's gone, Little Key's not working this show, and even on, well, yeah, what's technically a B show, there's still so much talent. It's almost like you couldn't have a bad show if you wanted to with this roster, I think. Like, you, 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 there's so many good workers. You just put a combination, like, in a, in a random name generator and you'd get some good matches, I think. Yeah, so I think, um, over, I think overall, I would, I would call the show solid. You know, I mean, yeah, it's a the, solid show. The undercard is, is, I think, weak. And the main events are good enough. And I know you liked one of the undercard matches a lot, but the main events are good enough to bring this to elevate it to being, to being pretty solid overall. Yeah. 
Uh, completely in agreement. And that brings us to the plugs. If you want to contact us through the years, T-H-R-O-H is how you spell through at gmail.com. Uh, we have a thread on the Pro Wrestling Only Plugs Forum. If you want to contact us via Twitter, I am at Trevor Dame, D-A-M as in Mother E, Matt at Mayor MGF, same thing, M. And um, next time on the show, we will start a new era, Matt, because I believe we were finally in the Matt attended some of these shows live era. Starting with the future is now. The Matt future is now. It's what it should have been called. And it's another show in New York, New York proper this time. And we get Loki versus Austin Aries. We get CM Punk versus Roderick Strong. We get Nigel McGuinness versus Samoa Joe for the pure title. So this is going to be probably a pretty big show. And I know we were talking about, I don't know if we should spoil it or not. You were talking about maybe we were going to do for the next show the first ever through the years that also reviews a match that did not occur in Ring of Honor. So we might have a bonus match on that show even. That's right. And... And listen, I'm going to spoil this one, whether you want me to or not. Justin Shapiro is going to be on the next show. And I can't imagine how anyone would want to pass that one up. Yeah, so it's going to be a great show. And it's the last show before the summer of summer of punk starts. Because we'll be doing shows in the summer about the summer of punk. So this should be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, and this was fun. So um, great show. And until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.